So when I was growing up, and uh, yes, I'm 45 this year. Uh, when I was growing up, I was completely enamored with MTV. And I'm sure many of you were. It isn't just, you don't have to be just 45. I mean, after me came TRL, after me came the Backstreet Boys and NSYNC. But for me growing up, I was just enamored with, you know, these legends, how these people, how these seemingly uh, normal, regular, identifiable people could do such amazing things, such fantastic things, could somehow resonate in an energy, in a vibe, in a physical appearance that seemed more and bigger than anybody else that I knew, than anybody I knew in real life. And so I was completely enthralled with this. And I spent years and years just examining this. This probably led to my career as a music video director, most likely, well, most definitely led to my career as a music video director. And in the beginning, I was just convinced that everything, uh, that, that these that these people moved and acted like this in real life. And the trick was just shooting them the right way, filming them the right way, lighting them the right way, editing them the right way. And so I got really lost in those crafts, right? And that became the early definition of who I was as a director and who I wanted to be as a creator. And the longer that I've done this, and the more that I've been exposed to the other side of the curtain of the world that is pop music, rock music, uh, pop culture, I started to understand that these people aren't just one person. These people are the culmination, the collection of so many talented, talented craftsmen and women that make them who they are. And what am I talking about? Let's let's be specific, right? You're talking about the wardrobe people. You're talking about the stylist. You're talking about the publicist. You're talking about each and every angle for each and everything that I thought that these people, that these pop legends, that these stars were doing on their own. Now, I don't want to take credit away from the star themselves because at the end of the day it doesn't matter we've seen it it doesn't matter how good your team is around you if you're not an individual that exudes some sort of personality or some sort of essence that the world is fascinated by it's not necessarily going to work out or it may feel fake or it may not last longer than it should right but at the end of the day it isn't just that personality it isn't just that look and you i've seen it and you may have seen it if you see these people in real life if you are coming out of a store on hollywood boulevard and there's a premiere across the street you see them and you go wow he's really short in real life right or if you see them not in the light or you see them not in the way that they move you go they just look odd they seem strange they don't look like the people that i have grown up idolizing the people that i have stared at on the poster of my wall the people that I have hung out with all of my girlfriends in the room and replicated their dance moves. Like, it just doesn't feel the same way. That is the magic of our industry. That is the beauty of our industry. That is also the manipulation of our industry. That is also a lot of sinister aspects of our industry. That is the work in the art of creating an icon. You're listening to the brand new episode of In Love With The Process. I am your host, Mike Petchy. Come on in, have a seat. Today, I am going to be joined 
by one of the one of the important ingredients of creating a pop star icon, creating a musician icon, um, and I'm talking about the dance choreographer. And I haven't had a movement choreographer. I haven't had a dance choreographer on the show, a movement director on the show yet. Um, and it's just been because really, honestly, I really haven't sort of looked at it prior to my career as directing, but also prior to my early career, prior to my recent career in directing, I really haven't looked at it. And I really haven't understood the power of choreography uh, until I've directed my, some of my horror pieces and how the creatures move and how the people move and how they react. And then it gets to become a much bigger thing for me because when you think dance choreography, I'm, I'm usually just thinking, all right, so the, there are the backup dancers that are behind, you know, Britney Spears that are waving their hands around and all dancing in unison. And uh, it's all about, ooh, wow, she has dancers. And that's, that's what I always thought dance choreography was or movement choreography was. Um, but then as you start to think about film and you start to think about horror movies, you start to think about like, ooh, well, how do the characters move? And then when I was doing 12 cam and I was doing a movie in a different language, I was really focused on not, not just blocking, but the movement of the characters and what the movement said to a group of people that can't understand what they're saying out of their mouths. You know what I'm saying? And so uh, the further I get in my career and the more that I plan to do these feature films and the larger projects, uh, the more I'm fucking fascinated with movement and movement and choreography of movement is really an important ingredient for me. And so I'm excited. Today, we have our first dance choreographer on the show. Um, and she's joining us here in the studio, Abby Oliver. Uh, so she calls herself a movement coach, a choreographer. Um, and uh, she has done amazing work for huge music videos, for live TV, for live um, stage acts, stage performances. Uh, she's worked with some of the best, some of the biggest uh, pop stars out there, and she's worked with some of the biggest musicians out there. She's done work for like the James Gordon team on television. Uh, she's at the top of her game, man. And so um, I love that, that we're getting people at the top here on the show and we get to connect. And her and I have been talking for quite some time on Instagram because I followed her on Instagram, which I'll put her link in the description of this episode. Um, and uh, I, I just go check it out. Click the link there uh, and look at her work and you'll see why I'm like, hmm, okay, cool. And, you know, I, I also got real nerdy. And you'll hear me talk about it with her because I'm going to bring it up with her on today's show. Um, but I got real nerdy and watched the behind the scenes of the Michael Jackson Michael Jackson thriller music video shoot and all the choreography that went into that. It's really interesting. You should just look it up on uh, YouTube. Look up Michael Jackson's thriller behind the scenes and look for the longest one. Um, and it's fascinating. It's cool to see how Michael actually is on set and how he was at that time period. Um, it's directed by the director of um, American Werewolf in London. So he's there and his ego's there, which is interesting. John Landis. Um, so it's a good watch. Uh, it's a really good watch. And if you go check out uh, Abby's work before you listen to the show or while you're listening to the show, then there's some context as we talk our way through this. But before we get to it, 
Thank you, everybody, for following me on Instagram at Mike Petchy, or thank you for following the uh, podcast Instagram at In Love With The Process P.O.D. Uh, at Instagram. Instagram, Instagram, Instagram. How many times can you say it, buddy? Um, and uh, there you've seen that I am releasing or have been releasing to fans of this show, to the super fans, um, who's there? My most uh, recent release. It's not my newest film. My new film, Come Home, is in the festival circuit right now. And we'll talk about that in a hot second. But uh, Who's There is my second proof of concept short that we did after 12KM. Um, and uh, we've been dropping that out to the super fans. So if you've signed up to be a super fan, you should have got an email already from me. And if you got that email and you haven't opened it yet, you should, because in there you have the opportunity to watch Who's There. Um, as well as an opportunity to watch 12KM again. Um, and uh, please do. And for those super fans that are listening to the show, uh, we're giving out uh, limited edition and level the process pins to uh, the sele uh, select few that leave a review for this podcast on Apple Podcasts. So if you leave a review on Apple Podcasts, we're going to go through and pick one of the new reviews and send that person uh ILWP Superfans pin. You know what I'm saying? Um, so yeah, who's there is the release has been awesome. We're very excited. We're starting to get a bunch of people uh sending us their three favorite demonic horror movies. So all the normies, not the people that aren't super fans, actually have to jump through hoops to see the movie. They have to send me their three favorite demonic horror movies. And if I agree with them, I'll send them a link. Um, you could still play along if you want. I know a lot of you love to play this game. Send me your three favorite demonic horror movies. What's a demonic horror movie? It could be a movie that stars the devil, right? It could be um, a movie with a possession, right? Or some sort of just demonic force or entity that is just sinister and a real piece of shit. Uh, a lot of really good options out there. So send me your three favorite demonic horror movies uh, to get your chance. Tell your friends to do so if they're not super fans already. Right, or you can tell your friends to cheat and just listen to the show. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, so let, well, let's see, what else was I saying? Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, my other film, Come Home. Now, by the way, there are trailers for all three of my movies on my Instagram account, and they're pinned to the top, so you can see the trailer for 12KM, you can see the trailer for Who's There, and you can see the trailer for Come Home, which, when you watch them back to back, it's an interesting study in how my work has shifted from 2016 to 2024, which is interesting. Um, but Come Home is in the festival circuit. We will be screening in April here in Los Angeles. We will have news and dates that will go out to the superfans. So if you guys are local to Los Angeles and you want to see Come Home on the big screen, um, we'll make sure to get you that information so that you can get tickets to come see it. I will be there. Lance will be there. You could be a part of the whole process with us. Um, but right now, I just heard yesterday that Come Home got into this year's Panic Film Festival, which is awesome. It's a big film festival. I know that we're doing the remote uh, screening thing, which I, I think that ultimately means that it's not going to be screening locally on the, on the screens there. They're going to do it on their website for a short period of time for people to go to the film festival. Um, but yes, we got accepted to Panic Film Fest which is a fucking great honor. Uh, it's a great festival. 
And so at this point, between that and Nightmares Film Festival and Film Quest, and then I think we're in Hollywood Shorts Fest, um, we're in good shape, man. It's the only reason why I haven't released it to the folks the same way I'm doing Who's There is that uh, once I put it out there, it has like less opportunity to get into film festivals. They like exclusivity and all that bullshit. So um, you'll just have to wait. I'm sure I'll be dropping that to you guys, maybe towards the holidays. You know what I mean? Because that by that point, all the film festivals will have happened. So uh, I'm excited, man. It's nice to have all three projects in the running. It's nice to have all three projects out there um, for the audiences to see in one way or another. Um, and I always will appreciate everybody and your, support, and your support and your reviews. So if you want to leave me any reviews for anything, you can always write to me on Instagram. Okay. All right. Let's get into it, man. It's a rainy day. I have the fireplace going. Abby is on her way. We're going to uh, get into it together here in the living room in this cozy, comfortable spot. So uh, get ready, man. Get ready to have your mind blown a bit on uh, how dance choreography actually works, the process of uh, collaborating with a dance choreographer for those of you who are filmmakers, but those of you who are just fans in general, there's a lot of nerdy stuff that we're going to talk about that I think might change your mind on how things work. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the brand new episode of In Love With The Process. Thanks for being here. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me. How are I'm, you? I'm good. I'm excited you came down to the spot today. Me too. Dicey drive, but we're here. Because <laughs> <laughs> of the rain? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we actually started the fireplace for you and everything. It's so, so cozy. I love it. Very classy today yeah. here at the studio. <laughs> um, so I'm excited to have you here. I am a fan of the stuff that you do. I have been following you on Instagram for a while. Um, as a director, I have yet to do stuff with a choreographer or a dance choreographer. And so uh, I'm pumped to have you here because there's a bunch of questions that I'm sure that myself and a lot of other directors that listen to the show would have. Um, and so cool. Happy that you're here. So happy to be here. <laughs> <laughs> so let's uh, let's uh, add some context to everything. Okay. So out of all the artistic mediums that you could have chosen, why is dance and body movement your thing? Oh, straight off the bat. Great question. Um, 
I just I love I love dance in general and I love using the physical body as like an art form. I think it's the coolest thing ever because you know this is all we're given. So mm-hmm. to me since being young it's just been such a natural thing to move my body and to use my body to like express myself and to tell stories. And then v- before I knew I was choreographing, I was choreographing. So mm-hmm. I was making up dances and like seeing things on TV and being like, "Oh, I see how they did this and like how they use this formation or how they how they kind of use the dancers to tell this part of the story. And even when it was like the 90s and it was like, you know, Britney Spears and NSYNC, I, I didn't care about the artist. I was always watching the shapes that were going on behind them. Yeah. Um, and just, yeah. And ever since I, I was younger, I've just wanted to tell stories using my body and then using more, the more bodies that you have, the better, like the cooler things that you can tell and more shapes you can make. And yeah, it's just always intrigued me, to be honest. I just think it's the, the coolest thing ever. And then when you start ex- like seeing, exploring all the different mediums that you can do it within, like film tv live show artists you know you can even do like solo performance you can do right. 15 minute piece with no music whatsoever i just think it's like there's no limit to it and i love that well yeah and then it became really popular a few years ago with all the pop-ups that they were doing right? like the dance pop-ups and all those trends that were happening because of tiktok and all that right yeah exactly and i feel like it's becoming something that's so worldwide now and everybody knows about it which hasn't always been the case like dancers and choreographers are able able to be stars in their own right now which is incredible because we always used to be very much behind the scenes and pushing everybody else forward. And now I think there's such a blend of choreographers and dancers being the stars themselves and also dancing behind the stars. So mm. I, I think that's a, it's an exciting time for, for the, for the world of dance. <laughs> yeah. So, so you're happy with your career choice at this point. <laughs> yes, I am. I mean, it's also become extremely diluted with TikTok, you know, where yeah. it's like, I've trained for my entire life in many different mediums and it was rigorous and grueling. And then you're seeing someone on TikTok you know, and no hate, and this is no shame to them at all. Like if I could do, if I could have done it that way, I probably would have. Sure. Um, but you're watching TikTok stars do these 15, 15 second dances going viral and making a career. So it's definitely been a shift. And again, no hate, like whatever is available, you should, sure. you should use the mediums that are available to you. But it's definitely also diluted and dissolved yes. the industry a bit. And you really have to be on top of your game if you want to compete with the world. Yes. <laughs> now, it used to just be like, okay, you're in LA, compete with LA. You're in Atlanta, compete with Atlanta. Now it's like, oh, I'm competing with the whole world because they can just fly you out. They can find you on TikTok, fly you out to do this job. So yeah, you yeah, got to yeah. be the best of the best. Well, I mean, we're finding that with like any art medium right now with right. all of this stuff, like, it, like uh, photographers, directors, like this whole ordeal. And I think that, as I, because a lot of folks that are listening to the show are coming up through that way too. Mm-hmm. And it, what's interesting is that uh, I don't, I don't want to say this in any sort of negative way, but it's like if you're coming up that way, you almost are getting a pass really early to come up that way right. without all of the textured training that ultimately you're going to need at some point. Right. And you start to see that, right? Because especially in the photography world, we were starting to see this a lot where uh, young kids that were just being picked up off their Instagram accounts and they were coming in and then it's like, oh, hey, it isn't just you doing this now. You also have to lead a whole team and a whole crew and you have to go through this whole process. And a lot of these uh, kids that were coming up that way just didn't have the training for that. Yeah, I mean, I guess it it does show, and I've heard this before, like people have been hired and they haven't had that experience that you kind of get from 
doing the smaller jobs and, yeah. you know, even like working for free, assisting friends, like all all that time that you have to put into getting to where you are. I, I have heard that people that are coming up so quickly, you know, they are lacking in that. And it, at the end of the day, experience will tell. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, okay, do, however way you want to go about it, you have to have the experience. Because um, once you get on the job, you have to keep the job <laughs> yeah. and be really good at the job. So, <laughs> Well, and I find that in, a, in our artist world, a lot of our job isn't the actual art that we do. A lot of our mm. job is the uh, talking with the producers, collaborating with folks, translating stuff to people, like the yeah. multiple phone calls and how do I take this idea that I would have normally just done in my bedroom by myself and now give it to all these other professionals and try to run with it, that kind of vibe. Yeah, so true. And those are the things that you can't get taught and you can't find on the internet. Yeah, so, yeah, 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 absolutely right. Yeah, so I just wanted to say that, just to make sure that people still understand <laughs> that there's value to the craftsmanship. Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, the real people, the only people that are making it so that we have to say these things are ultimately the clients. And the clients are just like... Well, this person's probably cheaper. I don't have to necessarily pay all their rates and I'll just find them on the internet and right. then they can run with it. Yeah. But they always find out in the end, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, okay, that's cool. I, I mean, look, the thing that I find fascinating about what you do is that as a director myself, um, body language and body movement is such a huge part of everything. Mm-hmm. And even though I haven't done dance stuff, um, I am still basically choreographing blocking and going through the whole process of that. And I, for me, silhouettes are a huge deal. And like uh, what a character looks like in a silhouette is how you judge them initially visually. And then especially working in the horror world, you're always doing uh, choreography with creatures and characters and all that kind of stuff. Um, So I'm fascinated. And there uh, is something that really fascinates me as I progress in my career and I have the ability to have more people in scenes and more actors in scenes, the ideas of like choreographing multiple characters all to do the same thing. And it's like you start to go back to like uh, Kurosawa in the old days of like how like one guy in a room says something and everybody and everybody sits up and does something and what that means to the audience. So I'm interested. Yeah, I mean, people hear choreography and they think these elaborate dance sequences, but it's all it's all movement, you know. And like you said, even like 12 km, I remember the scene around the um, where the microphone goes down into the ground and you have the hand starts the initiation and then everyone starts rising up and you have this moment, like you said, with the silhouette, that's movement. That is choreography. You've choreographed four bodies to do something at the same time. So that is technically choreography, but you as a director have probably just gone, I see the vision and I'm going to haphazardly find a way to execute (laughs) it. Right. So yes, hundred percent, you know, you are choreographing and the the thing with choreographers is we're just very trained to know how to communicate that and how to do that probably a little quicker and a little more effectively. That is our our job, you know? Well, even though I flubbed my way through it, I'm proud to say that all those guys at that hole went on to have careers as backup dancers for Britney Spears. There you go. You did. I actually love that scene. I mean, whenever I watch a movie, like I'm always looking for movement. And as soon as I saw that scene, I was like, oh, that would have been, that would have been a cool thing to, you know, for a choreographer to get their hands on. Yeah, I wish I had one. But executed so well, regardless. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. it would have been cooler. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, it's, I've been doing this for a while and I really respect the art that other people bring into it and I respect the craft in it. And I think that 
I mean, that's kind of why we're hanging out. It's a, I really want to know this stuff so that way it becomes part of my vernacular and then it becomes an easier thing for me to pitch where I'm just like, no, I know I can tell the guys to open their hands and walk towards the hole, but if I have someone in here doing something, it could be so much fucking cooler. A hundred percent. I mean, I always reference like something like it. Like one of my favorite scenes is in the newer it when he comes out of the fridge and you see like how the body parts come out of the fridge. Yeah. Something like that is like, he could have just got out of the fridge, but movement can make a film. And yeah. I think that's what people are starting to understand is having that little bit of expertise, um, like something like Megan, when they actually incorporated dance and choreography into Megan, I thought that was so cool because it was like the 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 character was actually tied with dance. Mm. And that was what really pushed a lot of the promotion of that movie in the end. It was right. the dance scenes. Right. And that spurred a whole TikTok campaign. And, right. you know, so it's like, I think people are starting to realize what an asset it can be and how much it can make a character and make the difference within, within a character. So cool. That's so cool. It's so cool. So when you start to think about it, right, is it, this is the, so when I was younger, I was trained as a, um, as a, as an artist and I was a painter and I drew and I was a figure drawer. And one of the first things that we, you would do when you're actually trying to draw a figure in action is you would actually draw the energy line. So you would actually sit there and go, mm. here's the line of energy and everything else is sort of being reactive to that line of energy. I think the only way that without being trained at what it is that you do, I feel like that's where I would start. Is that like, how do you start to design a sequence? Like, where does it come from for you? So it depends on the medium. So for example, if it's like an artist has contacted me and they say, I have this new song coming out. I want six dances. I want to make a music video. The song is going to drive yes. everything. Yes. So I will listen to the song for a day or so get it in my body, uh, make sure I understand what the artist is saying with the song. You know, like, is she trying to be empowering? Are, are they trying to like make a statement? Are they angry? And that will kind of drive the process from there. And then I'll start creating with the music as the key piece. Right. But to flip that on its head, if I'm working with an actor, for, I just worked with an actress recently and the director kind of came to me, didn't really have much of an idea, but said, this is basically gave me an outline of the movie yeah. and said, this is the character that we are building around this person. Um, we have these sequences and this is what we need to achieve. And it was very vague. And then I kind of did more of like an energy thing. I went backwards and thought, okay, how, how would this person walk down the street? How would they, how would they interact with other humans? How would they dress? And I start building an image of this character in my head and then that would drive the movement. So it was a little bit more humanized as opposed to making shapes. Sure, sure, sure. So it kind of it really depends on what the the brief is and that's the coolest thing about it. It's, yeah, it's fascinating. You never know. <laughs> yeah, no, that's cool, man. That's fascinating. So like if you're, so you must be studying the way people move a lot. All the time. Are you like a creep about it? Just like staring at people on the street? Not so much like down the street, but I can tell a dancer from like five feet away. Like I don't even need to hear them. I don't need to see them. Like I can just watch their feet and I'll know they're a dancer. But as far as like TV, film, sure. anything, like if I, I can't even listen to music anymore because if it's anything that I like, I'm creating something in my head, like I'm in the car and I'm like, okay, focus on the road. <laughs> so I've got just got these visions of like, I can see the dancers and I want to create this, 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 and this. Um, like I was watching Saltburn last night and I 
just couldn't even focus because I kept rewinding one scene because I was like, oh, I just want to, I want to make a dance to this and I can see this and I want to take inspiration from this. It's um, so cool. it's constant. Yeah. <laughs> I can see you getting pulled over by the cops out here and they're like, are you a choreographer? <laughs> like, no choreography while driving. <laughs> I'm like, no, Abby, focus on the road, pin the song, think about it later. Okay. <laughs> uh, that's cool, man. Like, yeah. I mean, I, I get it. I, I'm sort of obsessed with the same kind of like shooting and all that kind of stuff, but yeah. I love it, man. Like, so if you're, it's so interesting. So, because, so that you have to design the stuff first on your own, right? So you have to have some sort of vision for what this is. And then are you collaborating with the dancer or the actor, or are you trying to train them to do what it is that you're thinking about? Most of the time, I would say like 90% of the time, it's a collaboration. I like to go into whatever room I'm stepping into with a good idea of what I think. But there has been occasions when that whole thing has been scrapped when I've met the the actress or the dancer, which most of the time is the most fun for me. Mm-hmm. Because if they're inspiring me, inspiring me enough and they have their own ideas and we can come together and create something, it's it always feels better to them than me just instructing them. So mm. I always go in completely flexible, um, especially with dancers though. You know, I, if there's formations in mind, like if I have eight to 10 dancers, I have to go in with at least of, a, of an idea of where they're going to be on the stage and how they're going to move around to keep yeah. it interesting. Yeah. So I always go in with things like that, like formations and stuff um, I have to have in mind or I'll waste time. Sure. Um, but yeah, as far as getting into the room, honestly, anything can happen. And yeah. then there's the rare 10% when the actress or, or the dancer comes in and they just go, just tell me what to do. I, I've got enough going on. I just want to learn my lines. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how to dance. Actually, I'm quite terrified of this. Can you just instruct me and make sure I get it right? So yeah. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> yeah. That's cool. Oh, yeah, I would assume, right? It's kind of like directing at that point where like you have to go in there with a plan. You don't want to waste your time. And if you've right. got a lot of different heads and creative heads in that same space, you also want to make sure you're driving the ship the right way. Right. Right. You know. But you're always open. You know, if an actor comes in and they want to do something a little different and you see it and you're like, oh, that's cool. Yeah. You, of course, you're going to be open to incorporate it because it's just going to build everything. So. Well, I feel like my only, because I've never seen it done. I've never seen a, uh, a dance sequence sort of worked out live. Mm-hmm. My view is probably everybody's view that's listening to the show or maybe I see a behind the scenes video or like you just see a bunch of people in front of a mirror sweating really hard and then, <laughs> then clapping after they do the sequence. <laughs> Sometimes, yes. <laughs> yeah. um, I just watched last week, uh, I don't know, I, I forget how I fell down this rabbit hole, but I watched the making of the behind the scenes for Michael Jackson's Thriller. I love that. And it was so fucking cool. Yep. And just seeing how he did, you know, the bit in that where he's walking, he does his whole uh, performance with the actress and he's just sort of walking with that actress and he's singing to that actress. Yep. And they showed him blocking it out with the director, who's the guy who did American Werewolf in London. His name's going to come to me. Um, But they showed him in the space and Michael Jackson was just trying to figure it out and he's just sort of moving through the whole space. And the actress is like, how do I land and what do I do? And it was just such a fascinating thing to watch come to light. You know? Yeah, and I think watching the watching that the process was just so integrated as well. Like you, there was the band, and then there was the drummers, and then there was the music director and the choreographer and the director. It was just I don't know. It was magical to watch, and I'm so sad that like he's not here to know, <laughs> to, to continue. But um, 
He was he was legendary as far as like how he like how he was able to move his body and how in tune with his body he was. I mean, Thriller was iconic. Like, yeah. there's never gonna be. I mean, not never gonna be, but I don't think there has ever been anything quite like it. I mean, yeah. it was a movie. Yeah, you know, and yeah. the, the choreography to have a, a move that's still still so replicated so many years later. Yeah, um, it was just so cool. Yeah, yeah, because it, also the whole group thing that they were doing with the zombies and like how what I found what I found really interesting about it was like, hey, look, we have to have this be a cool looking dance sequence, but also they were giving direction, like the dance choreographer was giving direction, like don't just dance, you're also supposed to be performing at the same time. So right. like make sure that your face is performing the right way, make sure all of that. So it is it was really uh it seemed like they were just trying to strangely take a bunch of actors and put them all in sync with how their body movements were, but then still empower them to perform through the whole thing. So Exactly. And it's, it was that human element. It was like, you don't want them to look like dancers. They don't want to come out and like hit the best yeah. steps you've ever seen in your life. It was supposed to be zombie-like and slightly human. And that was that's the coolest thing about it. It's like when you combine those elements, it makes something so amazing. Okay, so let's go back, right? So you started dancing when you were a kid, right? Yes. So you're a little girl, like dancing around your space, yeah. and and uh, went. Did did you hit a point where you go, "This is what I want to do with my life," and you were pushing for that, and then you went to school for that? Like, how did it all work out for you? I don't ever remember choosing it. I just remember as soon as I had a, as soon as I can remember, my earliest memory was like, "I'm going to do this. Nobody get in my way. This is what it is." Um, I started watching Michael Flatley, Lord of the Dance, Irish Dance. <laughs> that, was, that was my earliest um, memory of watching something. And my parents were like, you just had it on repeat and you would just memorize it and memorize it. And then I started Irish dancing. And apparently, I don't, I kind of remember this, but I was so young. I think I was six or seven. I'd gone into this competition and everyone else had the dresses and the wigs and their parents had spent thousands of dollars and taken them to tuition for years. Uh -huh. Apparently I rocked up in some orange shorts. <laughs> I think there's videos of it somewhere. I saw the trophies in my house and just won everything. And apparently someone came up to my parents were like, um, she's got something. And yeah. my parents were like, I don't know what to, you know, my parents aren't, aren't creatives in any way. They you know they've kind of lived a normal life. And they're like, oh, what, what do we do with this? Um, and that was it from there. I, I pretty much didn't, I didn't deviate aside from I did go to college because I felt quite pressured to get a degree. Sure. And in England, it's like, you absolutely have to get a degree. Went to get a degree and that was, never used it really. <laughs> Just, <laughs> I got it. I was like, there's my piece of paper. Okay, great. Can I go back to dance now? Thank you. <laughs> How's it work over in England? Is it as terrible as it is here in the US? Are you, were you indebted to that school forever? Like as far as financial stuff goes? Well, we have it quite good in, in England, actually. Our yeah. two, well, at the time, I hear it's changing, but um, you get a lot of support with student loans. But the best okay. thing is you don't have to pay it until you start making X amount of money. Uh, and it doesn't accrue interest like it does over here. Yeah, here it's the worst. It sounds. I have friends that tell me about their student loans. I'm like, this sounds horrendous. How do you expect people to move on with their lives? Yeah, I mean, it feels like a racket. It feels like yeah. they just, yeah. I, I just, I dropped out of it as, as soon as I could. And it was the best thing I ever Stop. did because... Our business, no one gives a shit. It's not like I walk into a room and the studio exec goes, uh, where's your diploma? No, no <laughs> one cares. No one gives a shit. No one cares. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, all right. So then uh, you went to college. You got you got your honorary degree. Yep. And then, uh, then what happened next? 
So what actually sparked my kind of resurgence right back into dance was my second year of college. They sent me abroad to North Carolina, which was my first kind of like American experience as well. And like all my friends got sent to New York and I got sent, to, I was the only one. They said, you're going to Greenville, North Carolina. Weird. And I remember getting the pen, you know, back then it wasn't email, it was like mail so I get this mail and I'm like everyone's all excited opening the offer letters and I knew I was going to study abroad I knew I'd been accepted but we didn't know where we were going and everyone's like oh my god New York New York New York and I was like Greenville what was in, <laughs> Wait, what? What's in Greenville I'm like so I'm like looking on a map and I'm like okay Greenville all right and I'm just like get me out of England at this point it's fine so I I go to Greenville North North Carolina I go to East Carolina University um luckily best thing that's ever happened to me absolutely phenomenal time the most I met the most wonderful people had the most incredible year of my life but when I got there they asked me what classes do you want to take and in England you don't get asked that they give you a piece of paper at the start of the year they say these are your classes hmm and you move through with the same class. So there's 20 of us doing this degree. That year, we will all move through the same classes and you kind of have this little community. Here, you can take whatever credits you want and kind of mix and match. So I said, well, can I take dance? <laughs> they were like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I said, okay, great. <laughs> so I was like, I'll take dance, dance, dance with a side of, I was studying events management. <laughs> let me just take exactly what I have to do to pass. And then, you know, that was that was it. And I was like, okay, great. I was dancing as much as I possibly could. And then as soon as I got back to England, I had one more year to finish. And I just did the bare minimum. I mean, I, I'm surprised that I got my degree, sure. to be honest, because I, that was it for me. I, that one little year I thought maybe I'll get a real job was, was gone. Yeah. It was done. So I just started taking as much dance training as I could back in Manchester, England. And from there, um, finished my degree and thought, I'm just going to go for this. Like, I, I don't have a choice. So what did you think? What do you think you learned in North Carolina, right? Yeah. What do you think you learned in North Carolina that they didn't learn in New York City? Like, what do you think was the... I think the weather helped. Like, I got the pool parties, the frat parties, the, out, the football <laughs> game. I mean, I got the true American experience, which my friends were actually in Buffalo, New York. Oh, so they got yeah. cold winter. I mean, everyone had a phenomenal time. But as far as, like, if you're going to do a, a year of American college, like you see on the, on the movies, like in England, we see these things. And I think, these are, this is not real. <laughs> you know, I was in a sorority. I went to the pool parties. I did everything. And I think the weather was a big part of that. Yeah, And then the Southern hospitality, Yeah, you know, I arrived on day one and it felt like I had a family already. Everyone was just so willing to help yeah. and drive me everywhere and introduce me to everything. So I think I got the best experience that I could have in that particular place. <clears throat> Do you think you learned any different styles of dancing because you were down there? They were very, very good at jazz over there, like technical jazz, hmm. um, which was something I had explored in England, but it was very different. It was very um, aggressive. Hmm. Like, I, I don't even know how to describe it, but it was ve very quick and very aggressive and very like grounded. And it felt kind of like this different style of jazz that I've never done before. And it was it just was amazing. And I remember my teacher there, she was called Tommy Galaska. Um, <laughs> she was just this little firecracker. I think she was about 50 years at the time. And she would talk to us and she would just be stretching and her leg would just be right next to her head. And I would just look at her and think, this woman is my idol. Like, this is so cool. And she would beat us to the ground. But I loved every second of it. Yeah. And I think the work ethic was so amazing that when I got back to England, it gave me that kind of spur mm. to, to just keep going. That's so cool. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, because... I didn't even think about that. So 
you you must have studied all sorts of different styles of dancing at this point, right? Like, what is what are your highlights? What are your favorites? <coughs> I mean, my favorite is it's called jazz funk, or in England we call it commercial style, which I kind of describe as something that's commercially viable. So, you know, you've got a pop star and you see the, the the Britney style dancers behind it. You're selling a product like Apple Beats headphones, um, anything that's kind of sold to a commercial, like a wide audience. That's my favorite because I just think it's, it's always like visually appealing. It's mm. fun. It's mm. engaging. Um, that's my, that's the style I love the most, but I love hip hop. I love old school hip hop. I love contemporary. I, I've trained, trained in pretty much every style, I would say, aside from like tap. Mm. Um, I'm not so great at tap, but I love everything about it. And I really fuse all my styles now as well. I love that I can walk into a room and kind of pull from a bit of everything. And it means mm. that I can do a lot of different jobs because I just choreographed, like, I'm, I'm not great at ballet, but I've trained in enough ballet that I can direct the dancers to help me. So I just um, did an incredible music video for these ballet dancers. And it turned out so well because I came in with the with the, uh, with the the knowledge of ballet, but I'm also very modern. And I have these commercial styles. So the director was just so happy because it wasn't just ballet. You know, we, we took it somewhere else and made it very cool. So. Hmm. So when we talk about commercial styles and you're talking about the backup dancers for like a Britney Spears or something yeah. like that, what is what are the elements of that that make it commercial? Are you trying to make it so that it's it's danceable for the people that watch it or is it is it about making sure that they're extending their limbs out as far as possible to bring energy or bring attention to them? Like what what defines that? So it, it shouldn't be so out of reach that every person shouldn't be able to watch it and relate to it in some way. That's why if you see something like, um, if you go to a tour, if you like, say you watch Ariana Grande or Janet Jackson or um, who's a bit, like Tate McRae, there's, they have the breakdown moments where it's it's very dance heavy and it's very engaging. It's it's something that as a as a general person who doesn't dance, you wouldn't say I could do that. But there's always moments with like a step clap mm. or a step touch or like a wave or a hold, even when all the dancers just hold for eight counts and then they move formations. There's, there's enough in it that a person could watch that and like kind of bop along. There's always an element in there that connects with the audience. Yeah, it's right. never so far out of touch. Like contemporary dance is beautiful, but the reason it's it's kind of not as recognized, I feel like, by the general public is because no one really watches a contemporary dancer and thinks, I can do that. It's so athletic. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of floor work. So I love that commercial dance is something that can excite, can excite everybody. And I think that's where the TikTok trends have taken off. It's because these are mostly things that people at home, they might not be able to get it straight away, but after a little bit of practice, they think, I can do this 15 second dance. All I have to do is, you know, wave my arms this kind of way and like, I actually think that that's a really beautiful thing because it's making dance more accessible to everybody. Yeah, it's okay. Okay, <clears throat> that makes a lot of sense. So if uh, you're trying to create, especially since it's like pop, right? So you're trying to create stuff that there is, I think in the business strategy, I'm sure that they love the fact that like teenage girls were doing the Backstreet Boys and the NSYNC dances right. in their fucking bedrooms. Right. So like that was a big selling point for it. That's cool. That's interesting. So yeah. then... um when you're, let's say that you were going to do a commercial uh, routine for like a new pop act, right? Mm -hmm. So you'd obviously listen to the music, right? Yeah. And the music would inspire you. But <clears throat> do you start in a specific place every time? Or is it, um, is it just completely driven by the music? Or like, like I'm trying to see how you would... 
Yeah, as a director, you can sort of see me going like, how the fuck do you start? <laughs> so it always starts with questions, right? So, yeah. you know, say the artist has come in and they've said, hey, I have this new song. Oh, I have these, the, these songs. I want to bring on some dancers. I'm going on tour. Or I'm doing this, you know, pop-up show in L.A. First thing I'll always ask is like, how dance heavy do you want it to be? Do you want it to be all about you? Do you want it to, you know, because for example, you've got like Janet Jackson who has the dancers are with her pretty much the whole time she's on stage. She loves it. She platforms them. Or you've got um, artists that kind of want the dancers, I think it's like Mariah Carey, mm-hmm. like she wants to be the star, she wants to be the forefront, and then she'll bring the dancers on and then they'll go off. So there's there's kind of, you know, there's always a bit of a difference there. So that'll be the first question I'll ask. How dance heavy do you want it to be? Does the artist wants, want to dance as well? Because if they want to be involved, that's going to change the entire way I see about um, creating this. If right. it's just the dancers and then the artist is just going to be forward singing along, going completely rogue, that's great. I can just worry about the dancers. But if the artist wants to be involved in the whole dance as well, I have to make it something that the artist can do mm-hmm. while singing live. Mm-hmm. So then that's the whole other side of it. It's like when I started working with live artists, I have to I have to worry about when they have to breathe. I have to worry about pitch. I have to worry about heavy parts of the song that they're singing. Because mm. if they're singing something high, they can't be like, you know, turning. And they have to have the microphone in front of their face the entire time too. So they can't be using both arms. Like little things like that, you have to consider um, how to make it danceable for the artist in general. And then from there, I'll start I'll start building it. So are you trying to do that on your own? Are you essentially just trying to sing the tracks while you work it out yourself? Or is it like you're in the space with the artist and you're like, how do you feel here? And like, can you, can you do this movement and still deliver the pitch that you need to the pitch? Yeah, usually I'll start with them. So if yeah. I, I'll, I'll have an idea of what I want to do for the art uh, with the dancers. I'll work with the artist one-on-one first. And I'll, the first question again, once we get in will be, can you tell me what parts of the song you absolutely don't want to dance in? And the crazy thing is they know immediately. They don't mm. even have to sit and think about it. They're like this chorus or this last chorus or this, uh, this bridge, I cannot dance. I just need to be. And I'm like, perfect there we'll have a hold or there the dancers will do something or we'll have a breakout moment or, you know, we'll do something cool visually behind you. And then, um, yeah. And then from there we'll build on it. We'll make sure that they're comfortable. I'll give them their pieces. And they also usually want to feel good before the dancers come in because Mm -hmm. it's crazy. I've worked with people that are a little, that are big enough that you think they must have an ego Mm -hmm. and they must be so self-confident. And their first thing is, I don't want to look bad when the dancers come in. I don't want to feel judged. <laughs> and I'm like, the dancers are here to do that job. Like, they're here to support you. <laughs> oh, no, I, I want to look good before the dancers come in. So, um, Which I always think is so is so funny. Um, so I'll make sure that they feel good and satisfied with their own performance. And then I'll bring in the dancers and we'll work everything through. And then the last stage would be, hey, does the artist look at this visually, look it in the mirror, take a video? Do they feel good about everything that's happening behind them on stage? Sure, sure, sure. That makes sense to me that because I just watched, because I keep referencing things that I just watched. I just watched uh, this doc on uh, the recording of We Are the World from uh, the 80s, where Mm -hmm. they had all of the musicians come together. It was like, it's on, uh, I think it's on Netflix or something. It's fascinating. So so many people have told me about this, so I have to watch it. (laughs) It's fascinating. And why this is relevant to what you were just saying is that they were ingeniously, the folks that were producing the song were like, how do we get all these celebrities, essentially the, the biggest acts of the world, mm-hmm. all in one place at one one time? Oh, we'll do it the night of the American Music Awards because they know that all those art- artists are going to fly in for the awards anyways. They didn't have to pay for the plane tickets. They didn't have to do any of that stuff. So Smart. all these artists 
and Lionel Richie was also hosting. So all these artists went to the American uh, Mu- Music Awards and then after went to the recording studio. And so they're all in this space. And what was interesting is it's everybody. It's like Sidney Lauper, it's Michael Jackson, it's Stevie Wonder, it's Bob Dylan. Mm-hmm. It's like this whole group of folks. And they really haven't had time to prepare. And so when you watch them in the space and they don't have any of their, no agents, no management, mm-hmm. no one around. And so they're awkwardly, it was almost like watching a chorus being set up at a high school where they're just sort of standing around and they're waiting for their turn. Yeah. And they were just very like, the, like the, the coolest moment, I'm spoiling it for those of you who haven't seen it yet, <laughs> but the coolest moment is Bob Dylan and he's in this space and he's with like, uh, you know, Hall and Oates, like all the, all these amazing acts from that time period. And Bob Dylan's a weird choice because he's boo, 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 you know, he's that yeah. guy, right? And so it's his time to do the solo and he can't figure it out. And he's just like, what am I doing here? You know, he's having this moment and he's feeling very awkward and everybody around him is feeling awkward because now they're all kind of like, am I going to, you know, like what's, what's this like? And he says to Stevie Wonder, who apparently Stevie Wonder is like, he can mimic anybody. Mm-hmm. And so Bob Dylan goes, Stevie, will you? Just play it on the piano. And so Stevie Wonder plays on the piano and mimics Bob Dylan. He's, boo, boo, boo. And he does this whole bit. And Bob Dylan goes, it's perfect. I'll do it exactly like that. <laughs> so it was interesting to watch how uncomfortable these legends were. Yeah. Once they were stripped down and they didn't have all their support system around them, they're just artists and they're very insecure people yeah. just like everybody else. Yeah, exactly. So when you were telling me that, that that they need to impress the dancers, I'm like, of course they do. <laughs> and even with me, sometimes they come in and they're a little, I just worked with somebody recently and like, you know, I know of this person and I actually think they're really cool. And I was a little bit nervous going in because I'm like, I want to do a good job. Mm-hmm. And they came in way more nervous than I did, you know. And that's when I, I really have to like step into also like not a therapist role, but I have to carry the energy of the room and make sure that I'm making them feel confident and taken care of and there's so much more than like we were just saying before there's so much more that goes into it than just the choreography it's like I need to know how to lead that room and lead that person and basically I'm helping them get to the best level of themselves in that room through performance so you know and that can come through many other things than just dance like how we interact and how we build that relationship um, and how how much they trust me as a person is very integral to, to the process. Yeah, and I bet you because of how you handle those things, that's why you get hired too. Yes. Th- that's a big part of it. It isn't just the fact that you started as a little girl and you've been dancing forever and you've trained and you were in North Carolina and you've danced and with all these different things, especially with larger acts. More often than not, it's like, can she handle me and can she make me comfortable and can I be in the same space with her? Yeah, exactly. Things? And most of my word of mouth, like a, a lot of my clients come from word of mouth. Like I'll work with somebody and then they'll pass me on to somebody else. And that's usually the driving factor it's like oh she's a great choreographer i mean there's a million great choreographers <laughs> in la you know we all do it slightly different but there's just so many talented people but i always hear that the comment is she can walk into a room and handle anything anybody and she will do it well and she'll make you feel safe and secure to, to do the best job so and that's a really nice compliment to get that's a great compliment to get i mean this is something so uh, you briefly met gina so she has been uh, directing and doing uh, photos for like big, big acts now. Mm-hmm. Like we just did a big thing for the Emmys and all these other Amazing. things. And her process um, is that she likes to skip the middleman and have a relationship with the artists mm. as much as fast as possible. And she started that with her work with B. Miller, mm-hmm. and she was doing all the B. Miller stuff. And then it has continued. And 
that, especially out here in Los Angeles, where there are so many gatekeepers and middlemen in between yeah. us, the artists, and the artists, the artists that are hiring us. Yeah. Um, so part of, I think, the most successful people that I've met in this business, the people have figured out how to navigate their way through that yeah. and still come close to an artist and go like, okay, but what are you really feeling right now? And yeah. Like, without your fucking PR team and everybody else that are influencing you're like what are you really feeling right now exactly and in a tactful way too because at this you start you to answer to the people that are paying the bills <laughs> yeah. so it's like what do you want what do they want what do i want can we find a middle ground and like make everybody just feel all, as awesome as possible it's, yeah it's a skill <laughs> it's a skill but a, one would say it's probably the most important skill that you yeah. have at your job because it's the one that gets you the work so that you can actually yeah. I find that even with directing, like we spend so much time learning our craft and then it, when we're out here working, our craft is like the last thing anybody gives a shit about. <laughs> right. You know, and you're like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> can't I just be doing craft more? <laughs> uh, because it is a whole lot of just negotiating and networking and, and relationship building. Yeah, you're right. I guess that is the main, and then the actual creativity, that's like the cherry on top part of it. Sure. Everything else is like the, the meat of it. They all assume. They're just yeah. like, oh, great. Now you're here. Just do the thing that you do. Do the thing. We already know you're good at that. Yeah, yeah. We, 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 don't wanna, we don't want to know how you do it either. No. Yeah, just, just go do it. Execute. Great. And we'll underpay you 20%. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> go do it. Uh, <laughs> uh, okay, so, so thinking about all this stuff. So live, we touched a bit upon live. Live must be, must be a lot more, is live more stressful than the other stuff? You would think so, but actually no, hmm. because if it's live and it's like a, a stage show or performance or something, I'm creating what the audience is going to see, and I know that they're going to see it, and that makes it a lot easier that sometimes than doing music video or film, because especially in a music video, again, like the the comp competition of creativeness in the room usually i'm working with you know there's a director then there's the artist then there's <coughs> the artist assistant there's like so many people in play and then the, and and then there's the editing team which sometimes i don't even get to have any kind of relationship with until after if i even get that after the shoot yeah. um so it's like i can create something and they'll give me as much of a brief as possible but the camera shots might get changed on the day. They might not know the camera shots. The director might come in and change those camera shots. So if I'm thinking about something from this lens or this lens or, you know, whatever I've been briefed on, and then that changes, it's, first of all, I have to work around that on the spot, which is fine. But then the editing team gets their hand on it. And if they don't really understand how the choreography has been made to the music, yeah, we can lose the entire vision and it can look really bad. Yes. So I've actually learned now, I, I try to have that conversation started as soon as possible. Um, and it's actually helping a lot. So as soon as I start working with a director or whoever has hired me, I usually ask to, to have that conversation a lot quicker than I do now and say, look, when this gets to the editing bay, is there any way for me to have some kind of a conversation or at least just give them a heads up about the most important parts? Yeah. Because there's always extra things that get cut out. That's that's completely normal. But if there's a key section, and especially if that's a section that the artist is really excited about, I always try and push to make sure that at least we have some good takes on like a, you know, like a very set lens or, a, you know, multiple takes that they will definitely be able to use. And if we run out of time, I'm like, as long as we get great shots of that, you know, on we go. Whereas live, it's like, if you know, it's going to be on a stage show and we've got 10 dancers and it's an audience. The audience is going to see it from straight on, mm. you know? And of course, elements of live come into it, but we use professional dancers. They're very trained. Um, 
I was just talking to somebody about this yesterday. I think it was, was it the Grammys last year? Um, oh my God, Harry Styles. I don't know if you saw the performance where he was, it was like a circle and it was moving. No, I didn't see um, So it was like a big round disc and they had the dancers and it was incredibly created. It was like a whole moving choreography, but it was moving with this disc moving. So imagine you've got the camera, you've got the audience, but it's multicam. And yeah. this whole thing has been orchestrated from... To, to achieve these different points. And, you know, live TV is very difficult and, yes. and very stressful. Yes. The disc started spinning the wrong way. <laughs> the opposite way. It's live. The dancer, I mean, Harry had a little bit of a wobble at the start and everyone thought he was upset or something and then he kind of gets on with it. But, you know, he's not a trained dancer. You, If you watch that performance now, if you go to YouTube um, and type it in, you would not know that that was not how it was originally intended. The dancers wow. reversed the entire 3.5 minute choreography on the spot. Wow. With a disc spinning on live TV. And that's the incredible thing about professional dancers. They're trained to kind of adapt to anything. So live, as much as you would think it would be more stressful, is way less stressful, I think, than doing like music video or film. That's so, <clears throat> so that must have been, A, that must have been like a ball of stress, right? So imagine you're on a disc, uh, you're on this motion, you've been practicing for weeks, and then suddenly it goes the wrong direction. Oh, my God. And not only just for one of the dancers to be like, hey, I'm going to start this thing in reverse, but they all sort of work together and they all figure it out. I'm going to send it to you so you can understand how crazy this was. And the whole piece was completely dynamic. It wasn't like they were in a formation. They were moving. There was partnering. There was trios. There was solos. Harry Styles was running through all of them. This was like a continually moving piece. So even watching that back, I was just like, wow, I'm just so impressed with with dancers. Um, it was it was just such an incredible thing to see. And nobody knew about it until a dancer came onto TikTok and said, you guys, if you're you know, yelling about Harry Styles not looking 100% on for his first 10 seconds of this song, this is why. Yeah. We reversed this entire piece and everyone was like, no one could believe it because it was handled so professionally. Yeah. Um, and they did the best job, best job that they could and it was just such a cool thing to, to see. And I'm like, when people say, you know, we're talking about training before, that's something that only a professional dancer who has had years of experience can adapt to, can adapt to on the moment yeah. and not show it on their face because, you know, you have to have this right. performance face on and not show any sign of you know, that you don't know what you're doing on top of that. It's like millions of, of skills going on at the same time. It's incredible. That is incredible. That's wild. Yeah, send me that because I'm curious now. I will. <laughs> I'm curious now. Um, so, okay, so let's say you're doing uh, live stuff. And I've seen how uh, bands, big bands do their live rehearsals. They'll get a space, they'll rehearse, they'll do lighting rehearsals, they'll yeah. do all that. So I assume that you have you know, weeks of rehearsal or whatever it is. Do you then go to the first show or do you then go on tour or do you just finish it in rehearsal and you go, okay, hopefully you guys got it. Like, how does it play for you? Usually as a choreographer, that's it. You know, if there's yeah. an LA show, usually maybe you'll go, but most of the time your job is completely done. Um, especially for bigger acts, they rent like a soundstage. So everything is fully marked out to the stage that they're going to be going on to. So it's, there's not nothing really left to chance, um, yeah. ideally. Um, with some of the smaller jobs that I do, you know, we'll, we'll rehearse as best we can, depending on budget. And then I'll usually try and go to at least the first show before they go off on the road yeah. to just make sure that the dancers are comfortable and the artist is comfortable. Um, yeah. but most of the time I finish the product and then I'm like, 
off you go but i always try and go if i'm free i always try and go to the show because it's just a cool thing to witness you know and then i get a little bit sad because i'm like oh the dancers get to go off and like live this show and i'm on to the next project which is a blessing and a curse right because i can i can move on to the next thing but then you like have this this dance that's like living out there and i'm i get quite attached to my work too Uh um so yeah if i can be there and see it if there's an la show i I always try and go just to try and be supportive so does the does the environment change things for you as a creative and i the reason i ask is that there's a huge difference between watching my movie on a phone and then watching my movie in a theater and then watching this and listening to my movie in a theater that's full of people as opposed to listening to my movie in a theater that's empty mm. so when you design something on a on a sound stage that's marked out on the floor do you is there a sense of uh what's the term i'm looking for is it is it worth your while to go see it in a stadium or go see it in a space to see if that dance still translates from like row fucking, you know, 300. A thousand percent. Oh my God. I've had pieces that I've like, that have, especially, um, so basically there's shows in LA that are just made for choreographers to kind of unleash their creative talent. Mm -hmm. No artists, like you, no brief whatsoever. They'll kind of give you a platform and a live space and an audience in which to like premiere some new work or or try something with Mm. dancers. And most stressful thing ever again because there's there's nothing to work around it's just like hey here's the best thing i've ever presented in front of 500 of la's best dancers and choreographers hi judge me (laughs) it's terrifying and amazing at the same time so i try and do at least two of those a year just to keep myself as creatively on as i can and i have had times where that piece has kept me up at night because i've it's felt so flat Mm. but I know that I've envisioned it with lights and with a stage and with costumes and all this stuff. And it just happened to me, was it the last one I did was October? Yeah, I think it was October. I was really upset, but it was kind of like judgment day. It was like, I have no time. The dancers are rehearsed. There's nothing I can, nothing more I can really do with this. Like I can't go back and change it all. It's the day before the show. And these shows are free as well. The dancers are donating their time. I'm basically donating my time for my own creative process you can't just ask people to like come back in for a whole day. They're busy. They're on jobs. They've got lives. So I was kind of made peace with it. Wasn't happy about it. It was kind of keeping me up at night. I was like, I wish I've done this, this, and this live. Everybody, the whole audience was going crazy. I received compliments about this piece for weeks. And I thought, I was like, this is not my greatest work. Like, I'm stressed mm-hmm. about this. Oh, mm-hmm. my God, LA, I'm going to be done. LA is going <laughs> to cast me out as this choreographer. Um, and it was one of the best pieces I'd ever done. So I think it always comes to life on the stage, no matter what, like yeah. having the audience and the dancers just bring it and the lights and everything. It just adds this different element. So I always try and go and see it live because it always feels completely different than, than yeah. in the space. It yeah. just, it gets taken from this like flat experience to this like, 3d experience and then once you add the audience that those like real human bodies responding and getting excited and you know the play between the dancers and the audience that's that's a whole extra dynamic that you can't replicate until it's on the day so cool Yeah. yeah i mean the closest thing i have to that is uh when i started i was doing a lot of cinematography work i was i was shooting a lot of stuff and you would have uh, especially on low budget stuff, you have a stand-in. And oftentimes mm. your stand-in is like, you know, the grip. You know, yeah. bring over the, you know, bring over Tony the grip, yeah. <laughs> who doesn't necessarily have the same body shape, doesn't have the same yeah. hair. And so then you're in the space and you're using that person just essentially as like a, a model. 
and you're trying to sculpt out the space as much as possible. Yeah. And it's always frustrating to me. And when I, when I was younger, I'd be like, why does this look like shit? <laughs> like I'm, I'm doing all the tricks that I'm supposed to do. I'm doing all the stuff that I wanted to do and the plan that I wanted to do. Why does this look like shit? Why does this look like shit? And then I would finally get the talent in uh, to get first looks and the talent would show up and I go, oh, <laughs> it does look good. No offense, Tony, <laughs> but it does look good because of the outfit, the wardrobe, all this other stuff that is adding to this thing that ultimately I, th I feel like with what you do and with what I do, the shared thing is that we're trying to create a character or a person that is fascinating to look at for mm -hmm. a period of time. And it isn't just the dance moves that do it. It's not just the lighting that does it. It's not just the wardrobe. It's the combination of all these things. Right. That make them fascinating to watch for three minutes or two minutes right. or 30 right. seconds. I mean, do you ever get that when, I, I wonder, this is something that fascinates me about your world. It's mm -hmm. like when you're creating something like something like 12KM, when you have the inserts of like the weird like oil the stuff in the ground shots, I feel like they're so integral. But when you're creating and you're filming like the Russian, like the weird scientist guy and all the, all the different <laughs> people, you know, you're having to do those shots and you're having to be regimented about just getting the specific shots knowing that you're going to insert these things or later. Do you mm -hmm. feel like that at all in the creative process? Like you're, you know what the vision is, but it's, you know. Yes, sometimes. I, I, mm. What I do is I torture myself pretty hard. <laughs> so uh, I try to, I beat myself up on everything. So I, th there's, there's sort of like this rule of thumb. If you talk to any really great director or any of the greats, they'll say the worst fucking thing to shoot is dialogue scenes. And the mm. worst thing to shoot is, um, <clears throat> you know, round table dialogue scenes. Because it's just coverage. And at that right. point, you're like, coverage, 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 coverage. And yeah. Do I have enough coverage for the edit? Does the audience, does it make sense? Am I from the right angles? Have I crossed the line? All that kind of bullshit. Um, and the benefit of doing 12KM is that I did all like those inserty things much later, mm. much later because those, well, that's not true. I did a bunch of those on set, but a majority of them I did later because those are the things that I could just do on my own. I don't necessarily right. need all the money and everything for that. Um, so it was two different vibes, but the benefit of 12KM being in a language that I don't speak because it was in Russian, so I don't speak that, is that the whole movie became like a silent film. And mm. it was really at that point all about body motion and bo like body movement. And so some of my favorite scenes in that movie are like just the dialogue scenes where like the professor's in the office with the other guy and they're having sort of this conversation. And while I was doing it, I went, well, I don't, I know I'm coming from the perspective of the American audience here. And unless they read the subtitles, they don't know what the fuck's going on. So if I just have two guys looking at each other and saying shit in a different language, you don't know what's happening. Right. So I challenged myself and I said, well, let's talk about body positioning. So can I show the positions of power? So one, one, one person sitting down and one, one person standing up and one person has their back to that person while they're d delivering stuff and when does he turn? And how does mm. that turn on a dramatic moment? And then when the other person takes the uh, energy away from them, they stand up to face that person mm -hmm. and then that person. So then that became the 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 fun thing for me, where I, I was essentially visually kind of choreographing it yeah. and saying like emotionally, how can I get someone that doesn't understand that language to completely understand this fucking movie? That's fascinating. I'm, I can see exactly what you mean. I want to rewatch it now and like yeah. look for all of it. I mean, you could see it in the film anyway. Everything was so body, body language, but that's really cool. Yeah, it. it was fun. So cool. It was fun. And then, so 
that was the challenge. When I decided that I was going to do it in Russian, <laughs> the only reason I was able to is because I financed it. So I was just like, fuck it. And, and then it was one of those decisions where I was like, can I do this? Can I have it translated? And then I had to have, I've talked about this on the show. I had had two translators on set, one to tell me what people were saying, and the other one to tell me if they were lying about what people were saying. And so then there was this whole wow. thing. But it became, for me, it was so much fun because it became about blocking and it became about all the visual stuff for that movie that I now take into my my English speaking stuff. Mm. And I don't think I would think of it the same way if I hadn't challenged myself to do, to do a movie in a language that I still can't speak. <laughs> <laughs> that is really fascinating and very cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was a good move on my party. It was very yeah. challenging and fun. Uh, but I figured you get a kick out of it. And that, that's, yeah. I think that's the only reason why I got to a place because the whole guy sort of circling around the hole and being possessed, that was a much later thing where I saw the hole in the space mm -hmm. and I was like, this would be cool and, and sort of figured that out. But I, I don't think I would have been in that mindset if I was like, you know, doing law and order shit. Right. Where I was just like, dun, dun, over the shoulder, over the shoulder, wide shot, yeah. over the shoulder, over the shoulder, wide shot. You so know? you can choreograph. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Like any good director, I can kind of do everything. Yeah. <laughs> you still need a choreographer. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm not taking myself out of a job here. Yeah. But, Believe yeah. me, I don't want to be a choreographer. <laughs> well, you're doing it. <laughs> All right. It's time to take a hot second. Thank the men and women that support our show. First up our friends over at Puget Systems. If you guys are excited about who's there right now, if you guys have been enjoying the, the who's there experience, if you love the way that film looks, uh, it was all made possible by Puget Systems. 100%, they helped me make that film. They helped me finance that film. I couldn't have done it without all my friends at Puget Systems, and I cut that entire movie on my Puget Systems computer. I love my Puget Systems stuff. So if you're in the... Uh, in the marketplace right now to buy a new edit machine and you don't want to spend a half-life savings on one of those computers that give you three options to choose from you know what i'm saying one of the big ones that are all about the unboxing experience and less about what's in the box you know build yourself a pc and i know that's a daunting task for most folks like what am i buying how do i put it together i don't know how to put shit together is there a company out there is there a place out there that helps me build pcs yes there is Puget Systems. Go to PugetSystems.com, family-run company from the Upper West Coast. And what I love about this company is that they don't manufacture their own stuff. They're actually finding all the hardware out there that exists in a very competitive marketplace and then letting you know what works. And they're working with your budget. So you can build a Puget System based upon the software you use. Um, and then you talk to them and build something custom. And honestly, if you want a great computer, ask them about the machine that I have if you want an edit machine and then tweak it because my machine at this point is like year two years old and still crushing still crushing but there are new stuff on the marketplace and the recent thing i just heard is that puget is putting out it looks like a remote workstation now it looks like they're doing some sort of laptop i just saw their press releases at their on their website so if you go to uh, puget systems at instagram or pugetsystems.com check it out i think they're doing laptops now which is fucking rad. All right, also supporting the show, friends over at Blackmagic Design. Uh, those of you who work in the film industry, you've heard of Blackmagic. You've either shot with their cameras, and I have a few. I've got their 6K Pro and their new 6K large format one. 
Um, or, like everybody in this industry, you have been color grading and potentially editing in DaVinci Resolve. So, uh, I love Blackmagic. They're supporting the show. I love their stuff. I color graded Who's There. I color graded um, Fucking Come Home. All in Resolve. It was all done in Resolve. And then everything that we've done since has been color graded in Resolve. So, lots of great stuff. Check out Blackmagic Design. They are teaming up with us to do some interesting stuff as we push into the new year. Um, I can't say enough good things about them. And as I talk about our sponsors, remember, there are links in the description of this episode. Or if you go to inlovewiththeprocess.com and go to today's episode page, which is a great thing to do because I'm putting up videos and clips and photos that are really interesting to look at as you listen to this dumbass talk to the guests. You know what I'm saying? But there, click on the links for our sponsors. They're trackable links. They're traceable links. I know so many of you are like, I wish I can help you out, but I don't have money in my wallet. Fuck, man. Just click the links for the sponsors, dude. That helps me keep them around. You know what I'm saying? Also supporting the show are our friends from Boca Rentals. If you are looking for the ultimate rental company out here in Los Angeles or Las Vegas, Boca Rentals is the company that I go with all the time. They have the best collection of lenses in their inventory. They are the ultimate camera support company and they love working with young filmmakers and young cinematographers. They know the power of teaming up with us now as all of the dinosaurs die out. We're gonna be the ones that are left. So let's start relationships with them now. Go to Boca Rentals and form a solid relationship with a solid rental company. Gina just gave me a turn and a look. Was that because of the dinosaurs comment that I made? Oh, because I'm next to the fire? That's nice. It's true though. A lot of the older filmmakers are in their fucking like late 80s, man. They're gonna be drop, drop, dropping. So uh, be in with these rental companies now. And the reason I bring that up, let me be more specific about it. The reason I bring that up is that when I was back in Boston, there were a few different rental companies and there were the rental companies that when Martin Scorsese would come into town, suddenly my gear wasn't available anymore. Suddenly the stuff that I put on hold wasn't available anymore because these people would cater to the old dinosaurs, right? And I love the dinosaurs. I love these guys. They set up the business. I love their stuff. The only time I start to say old dinosaurs is when I start to lose my rental gear to them. You know what I'm saying? And so I specifically hunted down um, a rental house that loves new filmmakers and will never give away my stuff. Boca Rentals, check them out. Um, who else? Who am I forgetting? There's a bunch of other people that are jumping on the show. Indie Pro is back. So get ready for some Indie Pro reads. I think we're going to be giving away some Indie Pro gear. That is happening. Um, so that's all I'm going to do for ad reads right now. Like I said, at the end of the day, also go to inlovewiththeprocess.com. It's the place to go to listen to the episodes curated by subject material. It's also the place to go to check out all our supp uh, supplemental shows, all of our supplemental material for our different shows. So like, uh, Right Place, Right Time is there. Love Sandwiches are there. Recipes are there. I mean, inlovewiththeprocess.com is the place to go. That is everything that we do here at the show. Merch, all of it. Sign up to be a super fan, and then you don't have to jump through hoops to see my new stuff. All at inlovewiththeprocess.com. All right, let's get back to the show. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
but uh, that, but this is interesting. Okay, what do you have any other questions for directors? I mean, how often do you get to sit down and casually talk to the directors about stuff? Oh, Anything, God. coverage, editing, like any issues that you've had or things that you've bumped into with directors, and like, does everybody do it this way? Hmm. I guess uh, I wonder if on on your part, like, at what point, if you were creating a character, or especially if it's something that's like a bit more demonic, you know, more like a creature, mm -hmm. at what point do you think you would sit there and go, maybe I need a choreographer? Mm -hmm. And like, what what would kind of push you to to make that choice as opposed to going, I'll just figure it out, mm -hmm. like on we go? Well, I mean, it depends, right? So first off, it all depends on like whether or not I'm friends with the choreographer, right? Right, especially if I'm doing stuff that has no money or it's like sort of my own personal project, yeah. Or if I'm in a position where I'm working with uh, a budget and a production company, I'm like, this needs the choreographer, and they're like, does it though? It's a fucking creature, right. you know. And so then that's that fight. But but besides that, I think it all depends on what I think the audience is going to think is the scariest part of a creature, mm. right? And so you're. Because I just did this with my new film, which I'll have to show you, which is a come home movie. Because I did sculpt hands and I did sculpt uh, like creature effects stuff, which is interesting because you're working with like prosthetic teams and you're like, mm. okay, what are the scariest things? And there's, there's a certain set of rules. We've had psychologists on this show that talk about the psych psychology behind horror. Wow. Okay. And so there are certain things that you can do across the board that will fuck with anybody in any language. Right, and it's if you fuck with fingernails, you fuck with teeth. Mm. There are all these different things that you're doing. So, when I'm designing a creature, the first thing I'm thinking about is, is like, what are the scariest aspects? How do I make this thing scary to like a five year old, and how do I make this thing scary to a you know a fucking twenty five year old? And so, th they're mm. two different things. And I f I find that when you're dealing with the young kids, it's more primal. Yeah, sharp claws, sharp teeth. A lot of shadows, a lot of mm. silhouettes, a lot of like that kind of thing, a lot of drool, a lot of sounds, like all that kind of shit. Mm -hmm. That's what it is. If I'm dealing with someone that's older, I find that like that translates more into movement to a certain extent because then you're fucking with someone's preconceived notion of how someone's supposed to walk through a room because they've seen this person walk through a room for 20 something years. Someone mm. has seen someone work through this space for that amount of time. So, then you start thinking about things like the ring, mm -hmm. right? Like the ring, like the stuff, I, this is me making a lot of assumptions, but I would assume to like the, a kid kid, like a young kid, mm -hmm. they'd be like, ew, oily hair, black hair, really gross. Never, her creepy eyes, right? Yeah. And then maybe that like one push where she calls out of the TV and they do like a jump scare and the kid goes, oh, the fucking jump scare mm -hmm. kind of thing. But for the adults, it's like everything else. It's like the girl they found in the closet, how her, her body was contorted, how yep. her arm was twisted up. Or if you watch like um, another great one is uh, It Follows. I love that movie. Right? Yeah. And so when you watch It Follows, I'm convinced of this. It Follows is a great premise, a great idea. Mm -hmm. We would not be as scared of that movie if we didn't see that quick shot of the girl that was just twisted and brutally murdered. Remember? Right. Because everything else is like, oh, she's just running from this oh, one thing. It's very like suggestive. Yeah, yeah. Most of the movie. Yeah. But you're right. They've 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 set it up for us. Yeah, and that whole body it's contortion. Us the idea. Yeah, the, her broken back arm and like all yeah. that. Yeah. That silhouette. 
you go, fuck yeah. Like, yeah. I am running from whatever this fucking like, thing I don't want to get to the situation. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to keep running. Yeah, and the closer <laughs> it gets, all that comes back in my head is like that fucking arm bone yeah. that's hanging out of that arm. And so I feel like that stuff is more interesting to an older audience yeah. than the primal stuff. And then if you're smart with it, you're kind of doing a mix of all those things in yeah. one piece. That's cool to hear. I'm asking that because I'm manifesting that I'm going to choreograph a horror movie. Very, you know, my two greatest loves, <laughs> horror and dance. I know that that's in my future, but it's like understanding that like exactly what you just said. It's interesting that you're coming from the premise of, okay, what's going to scare a five-year-old and what's going to scare an adult? Yeah. And how do you translate that into the movement or the blocking or the nothing at all of yeah. that character? That That's really cool yeah, to think and, of that way. And especially in the blocking and all that kind of stuff. And then, of course, you're thinking about the editing and when right. you mentioned, um, you know, not being able to t communicate with the editors, mm -hmm. that's going to be the most fucking frustrating thing in the world because yeah. I cut a lot of my own movies. I've worked with editors. Mm -hmm. I cut a lot of music videos and all that stuff. I know the power of it. And um, if you're lucky, because <sighs> this is me making a dangerous statement. <laughs> Because I just watched this fucking thing on YouTube last night, and they're talking about a lot of this new AI tech that's in editors right now, where people can edit just by changing the text, and like there's a lot of automated cutting that happens. And I think people don't understand the craft that goes into it. Isn't just like, hey, cut out this line or put this shot here, and especially with choreography and body movement. Yeah. And the reason why I think that you like a lot of the stuff in Twelve Cam is because of how I cut it you're i'm always looking the same way we i talked about when i do a sketch i look for the line of energy mm -hmm. i'm always looking for that same line of energy in motion mm. and whenever i'm cutting something and probably comes from my music video roots whenever i'm cutting something i believe that there's a rhythm to everything there's mm -hmm. a rhythm to how people move everybody has a heartbeat mm -hmm. everybody has a breathing rate everybody has like a rhythm and structure with how they speak and you have to be conscious of that rhythm and that volley of energy, mm -hmm. right? I'm volleying this, and you nod your head, and you go, mm-hmm. So am I, as an editor, going, cutting for me, volleying it to you, seeing your response, and then cutting back to me? Or am I volleying it to you and leaving it on your response and then hearing me and still leaving it on your response? And then you give me the energy back. So it's such a fucking important stage, especially yeah. in what it is that you do. Yeah, I mean, same. I get it. it AI is coming or it's here. There's nothing we can really do about it. I feel like everyone's sure. like, just get on board. But the, to me, the editing is part, it's one of the most important parts of the creative process. It's the make or break. You can have the best shots. You can have everything ready to go from the best team in the world. And if you don't do it right in the editing bay, and like you said, understanding that rhythm and understanding how the audience is, is going to receive this and having that conversation back and forth, it, it can kill something that could have been really special. Yeah. So um, I'm with you. And I love you. I love hearing about your creative process. That's so cool. I get why we're, you know, yeah. <laughs> I get why we're having such an easy conversation because you, you, you literally understand the rhythm of everything, but you're just doing it in a different medium. Um, yeah. yeah. And I, yeah, I think the editing is so important. And I, ha having AI do that is going to take the humanness out of it. And we need the humanness of it. Sure. We but need it's, it. It's also it, more than that. Well, yes, to support that, I would say that it's going to do it based upon stuff that has been done before. Right. Which right off the bat is a fucking handicap when you're starting. Yeah. Because anything that I do, whenever I cut, and I've talked about this a bunch in the show, but whenever I cut a scene, what I end up doing is I'll take 
one of the shots, might be a wide shot from mm -hmm. that scene, and then I will scrub through it at high speed. I'll scrub through mm -hmm. it in, in forward, and I'll scrub through it in reverse, and I'll look for the body motion or the energy that is in that clip that I find the most interesting. Mm. So the hardest part for me is keeping myself fresh when I watch something for the first time. Yeah. So I think a lot of people will take raw footage and just like slug their way through fucking raw footage. I don't. Fast forward, go through it. I go, whoa, whoa, whoa. The way that this this guy turns here, that speaks to me the most. Okay, let me play just that section. Oh, that's fucking rad. Let me look through the, okay, here's some coverage that works for, okay, now I'm accentuating that move. Boom, boom. This cut accentuates that move. That's great. Is that distracting? It's not distracting. Okay, great. And that's how it's built out. Mm -hmm. So like it, whenever I build out sequences, it always comes down to that motion. Gosh. And especially when I work with Gina, because she lets me go crazy. We did the stuff for Robert Pattinson's GQ shoot. Mm -hmm. And on that, he was a fascinating person to watch because uh, Gina let him go. So he would be in these characters and he'd sit there. And there's one in particular where he's wearing like these red rubber gloves and he kind of looks like this mad scientist. And she's just shooting a single shot of him. And he sits there and he's looking for what he's going to do. And he has this thing where he's like, and he's ruffling his shoulders. He's bringing his hands. And then he's fascinating himself while he does it. And so then he's starting to get lost in it. And, he's, and he does this whole bit and routine. And in there, there's a spark of fucking interesting that I loved so much that I took. And then I wanted to replicate it. So then I reversed it. And then I brought it back again. And then I went to another cut that was... A, another version of that which was just his eyes and i reversed that and i brought it into a reversal of this and i think having that looseness when you're looking at footage and not being so fucking precious about that footage and just saying like how does this work and sorry i'm on such a long tangent on this but i love it my team up with the choreographer would be just that like yeah. i think that when i see a lot of dance sequences filmed i feel like they're lazily filmed and I feel like it's generally like someone on a fucking steady cam or someone on some fucking like crane arm and they're just like pushing in and pulling out yeah. and pushing in and they're just like, wow, look at all these people. They're all moving at the same fucking time. <laughs> and they're just push in, pull out. Yeah. And when you watch a lot of music videos, you could see when they don't have the coverage because then they're just doing stupid punch-ins on that same footage, yep. right? Yep, exactly. Yeah, I could see you shaking your head. <laughs> yeah, you can always tell from that. You're like, okay, they didn't have a good enough shot of this. Or they, mm -hmm. you know, they've done this close-up and then it's cut away, but it, it doesn't completely make sense. And it's not really adding to the, the whole music video. So yeah, you can tell usually <laughs> well in my brain because i've been a cameraman for so long mm -hmm. in my brain i feel like the next member of that choreographed piece is the camera operator yes and so when you're thinking about these things for me it's all about perspective right am yeah. i am i watching a crowd of 50 fucking people that are all moving in unison and moving mm -hmm. through a parking lot and attacking someone i want to see that on a wide because that in itself is the thing it's like mm -hmm. watching a a, a a sequence of birds that are all somehow flying in unison like a cloud pattern that's fucking amazing but also the power that we have with the camera with what the work you do and the edit and sound yeah i can really change someone's perspective on this and they don't have to be across the street watching like a bunch of people dance together right we can move through it yeah and if if the camera if the camera operator understands it and is, again, looped into the process early enough on and has 
usually the best work I've ever seen or the best work I've worked on is when the camera operator is excited too. Yeah. And if they're on board and they understand the rhythm of the piece and where we're going with it, and like you said, don't just see it as, oh, there's some people dancing, I'm going to do a pull-in or I'm just going to do this. If they can get excited about it and be involved, that's some of the best, Like especially like on TV or on um, music videos, that's some of the best things I've ever seen. I did I um I, I did a TV show was it two I did James Corden I assisted my friend she was the choreographer I was the assistant but she wasn't able to be there on the day so I was the main person like on the actual live TV shoot and I got paired with the most incredible camera operator ever and it, it literally changed the vibe of the piece because he kind of came to me and said look I'm here for you let's figure this out and we had the piece crafted and they were very uh, regimented like they knew exactly what shots were happening where we knew what which camera was coming where you know th they've been doing this for years um but he was like look watch it through let me give you my view let's talk about it and then let's let's figure it out and we went back and forth for it was only about 25 minutes but just having that 25 minutes some of the shots he adjusted based on seeing the choreography and like be, being able to work on the fly and saying, hey, if we do this or if we, we just hold this for one second longer and then do this. Um, there was like an opening shot with some fans and it was basically revealing the artist, something quite simple. And it was choreographed, simple, but effective. But the way he timed it with the dancers once he saw it a couple of times was such a spectacular opening shot when we actually saw it back on the on the TV camera. Mm -hmm. And that for me really showed like what a difference you can make when they're willing to work with you and kind of see the importance of of both things working together. So. And was this like a pre-taped segment or was this a live segment? It was taped as live, but it was pre-taped. Yeah, I think yeah, yeah. We, we got two takes, um, yeah, yeah. which which was nice. But um, And I think they aired it like two hours after we filmed or something. So, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah. And to be creative in that format is amazing because usually yeah. that format is incredibly structured and yeah and honestly you <laughs> honestly unionized and like the simplest and the easiest way to get through a lot of these things is yeah. often what happens with that yeah so. i mean the james Corden team was one of the best teams that i think i've ever worked with to be honest especially for tv like they were absolutely phenomenal so i'll give them that they were very flexible and they understood all the different parts of what was making this yeah. show happen and that that was really cool yeah i'm interested i'm fascinated with the whole thing because <laughs> when i when the stuff that you like about what I've done in my films, like the inserts and all the close-ups and all that kind of stuff, like there's a piece of me that would either love to cover a sequence or dance sequence that was done that way or mm -hmm. design a dance sequence that's done that way so that it becomes this very immersive. And if, as you could tell, I'm like hyper-focused with details. Yeah. So like there's a big piece of me that's like, if I was to show a ballerina or someone start a performance, there'd be an insert of them going up on their toe and you'd actually hear their toe like, like actually yes. get into the place. And then, yeah. then you're, and then you're just running through this thing. And that, that to me is like, because then I feel like I'm really taking full advantage of what you do. It's adding to it. It isn't like yes. you're not added like a fucking line item flourish. You know what right. I mean? It's like get a fucking Lamborghini in here and then get a dance choreographer in here. And then right. the hip hop artist will, you know, somber through. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's know. what I'm trying to change the perception of as well. It's like, you know, yeah. just see it. That's why I always, most of the time, like obviously I am a choreographer, but sometimes when I'm having these conversations or if I'm being pitched to somebody, especially when it's more in the film world, I'll call myself a movement coach. Yes. Because it's, it, people just understand and resonate it with, with it a bit more. It's like, okay, I'm, I'm not dealing with choreography and dancers. Movement coach. Anyone can get on board with a movement coach. Actors use movement coaches for nothing dance related all yeah. the time. Yeah. So I try and 
use that language sometimes because then people can see, oh, this is an addition. This is something that we're actually going to enhance and bring up. I'm not adding something that I can't kind of like get away from. Once yeah. You know, I'm not adding anything crazy and it, this should support the process. It shouldn't take away from the film. It should just be a, an enhancement, which yeah. is what choreography is. We should never take away from the artist. The dance should never take away. It should always be in support of or addition. Yeah. It should never be something that pulls too much away yeah. from the piece. It's got to support it or it doesn't make sense. Yeah. I yeah. love it. I love it, man. It's that's a good that's it's very smart. I was just talking on another show about this, like how sometimes all it takes is like redefining something. Right. And then if you if you redefine it for yourself, then you start to think about it differently yourself and you start to think about how you promote yourself differently. And then it is redefining it. Other people think of you differently yeah and it doesn't come with all the preconceived notions that the previous definition came with yeah exactly right? yeah it's interesting mm -hmm. um and i love all these like different um uh, i don't want to say new i love these ideas of into for me as a director i love these ideas of integrating all these new positions and new um collaborators like yeah. i i talked to an intimacy coordinator on the show mm. and that was something in general cool. yeah as a director i was like hmm you know because <laughs> you're always like is there someone else between me and this person me mm -hmm. and the actor and now i have someone in between me and the actor and over the course of that whole conversation i just realized well no you're a valuable asset to me and the the, the thing that really changed it for me like obviously for those of you who haven't listened to the episode Go check out the episode. It's awesome. Intimacy coordinator. Um, but essentially their job on set is to make sure that the actors are comfortable doing sexual scenes. Right. Right. And so it's trying to figure those things out. And for a lot of directors, especially dude directors, it's mm -hmm. very awkward for those guys to be like, just have them fuck. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, how do you, what do you mean? Just do your, yeah. you know? And so those guys really do need intimacy coordinators. And the thing that really, uh, changed the game for me was when she said uh the other thing that we do that's a side effect of it is that most actors are afraid to let a director down so like if i walk into a space and say to them hey are you comfortable with doing this and this and this and this they'll go yeah 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 okay. because they want to make sure that they're gonna get the job and they like the job right um and she's like but i then can come in and they can go Actually, I'm not. And mm -hmm. so, like, I get the truth. So it ends up being, like, the second translator on 12 Cam. Yeah. Where you're like, okay, great. And so I think that's the power of being a director and opening yourself to these kind of collaborations. Yeah. And I think if you do, like, if we work together, I think that it would be so much cooler than just a bunch of guys, you know, slowly walking on a hole and opening their hands and going <laughs> up on their toes. <laughs> but that was still cool. <laughs> Yeah, but you, but you, you, I know that I can do that. Like, how does it become better than right. what it is that I can? And honestly, that was me talking to them for fucking five minutes on yeah. a schedule going like, well, all right, let me see what that looks like. And they all did it. And I go, show me again. Okay, yeah, okay, great. We'll cool. get an insert here. We'll get the toes. We'll get this. Okay, yeah. let's go do it. And that was the extent of it as opposed to planning something out where yeah. you're like. And I think it's just it's just also picking the right people to work with. It's like you'll know when you start talking to people or if you start considering people like you don't want to pick someone that is so like artistically self-indulgent, which, you know, <laughs> which is nothing wrong with. Again, some of the most incredible like artists that I know are incredibly like they're artistic and they have this ego about their art and nothing wrong with that. Sure. Some of them make the most incredible like work. Sure. But then it's like if you know you're bringing in someone with 
who is coming in as a collaboration, especially as a director, is like, okay, can I trust this person to not put their art before yes. the the piece? Like, this has to come first, this has to come first. There's usually a million things that have, have to come before, especially if it's like a choreographer. You know, there's usually a million things that have to come before the choreography. And it's like, are you working with someone that knows how to get it done and doesn't feel so emotional about it that if something gets changed, you know, or... The, like just being like cool yeah we'll we'll do what we can and i think that's the most important part of film it's like it's, this is a whole film okay yes. unless yes. this is you got served the dance is not the most important part right <laughs> yes you know like <laughs> most of the time like you are this tiny tiny piece of the puzzle so it's like just working with people that you know are just going to go in and be normal and get the job done and be as collaborative as possible and aren't going to sit there going well you cut my eight counts of yeah and yeah, or yeah. you know it doesn't make the final cut and they're not crying about it it's yeah. like just you know get in there do the thing and well it's my job <laughs> it's my job when i'm when i'm casting the crew it's my job to be like hey do me a favor jump into this helicopter and let's get a bird's eye view of everything mm -hmm. and that's basically it and it, yeah. you can tell pretty quickly it's like do you want to see the bird's eye view come up and have a bird's eye view yeah. once you get someone out of it and i feel like a lot of that ego comes from insecurity a lot of that mm. ego comes from them going like i need to prove myself i need to prove my worth and yeah. and i think a lot of people judge their worth based upon uh you know making a show of what it is that they mm -hmm. do and saying like what do you think coach you know and that's not the the game that i want i i'm not there to say hey you crush this i'm there to be like cool we're getting this right like that's what right. i want like it's it's i don't have the right answer i don't know what the fucking answer is right honestly until i'm in the edit room right and then when we're in the edit room we go we were right about that yeah or no we were completely wrong how do we fix this yeah that's that's how films are made and i i don't think it matters if you're just someone that comes out of film school, if you're Martin Scorsese, mm -hmm. I think that everybody does the same thing where you come up with a plan, you do as much prep as possible, you do as much rehearsal as you possibly can, you show up, you shoot it, you have to deal with all the fucking factors <laughs> that are making it so that it's impossible to shoot it the way that you plan to shoot it. And so then you do an adjustment there and then you get into an edit room and you stare at a bunch of little clips in a bin and you go, well, this is the only shit that we have. And then, <laughs> then you look at that footage, you get over it and then you start recutting that footage and you go, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And then that becomes something. Yeah, absolutely. That's all. That's filmmaking. So it's same with same with choreography, you know? You rehearse as much as possible, do what you can with everything in mind. And then, again, it was like the music video or the live show, whatever, the product is the product. And you're like, okay, cool. We either edit it for the next show or we make this better or we take this out. And then on, you know, on we go. I love it. <laughs> I mean, I really love our jobs. I really do. It's the coolest thing ever. I know. I love meeting people like you, yeah. you know, and we get along so well. And it's just because we have we have that understanding and then there's this sort of sense of passion about movement. Yeah. That's I mean, I just love it so much. I'm like just feel very grateful to be in LA doing all these things. Just, you know, like what is day? Is it Tuesday? Yeah, it's Tuesday. a Tuesday. Yeah. Hang out and have cool conversations. I'm going to go dance later. Oh, uh, what are you doing later? Later, I have a little rehearsal. One of the I choreograph for a rock band who are actually very cool. They're called Circle the Earth. If anyone wants to, shameless plug, if anyone wants to go <laughs> check them out. Um, and they have a showcase tomorrow uh, for this new label that it looks like they're getting signed to. So, hell yeah. Um, we have like our last little movement coaching session with the lead singer who is phenomenal. Um, yeah, and then might, might take oh, a dance class if I feel so inclined. That's interesting. So, you're working with, that's right, because you are working with like lead singers and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah. And she's, you know, she's live. She's got, she's got a mic stand as well. So, she really is tied to the mic stand you can take the mic off but she's very vocal heavy like this is not there's no backing dancers this is very much like a stripped down 
rock band they very rock um so the movement is it's movement it's not dance choreography it's mm-hmm. very much just like performance movement with some choreography added in there we're building up to it um but yeah it's, it's so cool I oh it. i love this okay so then okay here we go so we're breaking the preconceived notion of what this dance choreography is mm-hmm. right because the first thing you think of is like backstreet boys janet jackson all mm-hmm. this stuff but if i go back and if i think about it real hard i think of like steven tyler and I think of fucking like the Rolling Stones and yep. like all that stuff. And that is choreographed. That's like, they do the same shit yep. every night on tour, right? It's like, even if you watch like live, like a full tour, um, I think it was like ACDC or something I was watching recently. And I watched these to get the information that I need to work with rock bands. Yeah. There is choreographed moments in there. There is moments like the lighting is choreographed and the band is choreographed too. They're, they're, there's, the singer just doesn't wander around for an hour and 20 minutes. You know, like there's choreographed moments. There's choreographed moments with the guitarist and the singer. There's moments where the drummer will take the focal point and might stand up after like a big so- big song. Like all of these things are choreographed, whether it's intentional or not, whether the band has just been like, oh, that was cool. Let's do that Let's again. Let's do that again. You know, yeah. after so many shows on the road. Um, and uh, like the rock band that I work with, it's the director of it. He's called Michael. It's really cool that he's recognized the power of that. And he allows me to just go completely. It's one of my favorite jobs because there's just no limits. I like, as long as she can sing and do it at the same time, that's my only brief. Um, and yeah, he allows me to go completely rogue. And sometimes I'll come in and I'll be like, Michael, can I try to get the uh, the drummer and, and the bassist to do this at the same time? He's like, yeah, yeah. Why? Okay, go, so go what, for it. what is this though? Like, what do you, what is an example of something that you're getting those guys to do. so like jumps i've been working on recently so there's there's moments where there's like a big like a big drop or a big crash in the music and i can choreograph them to like the bassist and the guitarist to jump at the same time and land as that crash happens but then i'll also have like the singer do like a head bob or a head thrash or something like that and then i'll have the drummer stand up and raise his um drumsticks mm. so it creates a moment that nobody will even really realize when they're watching it. Um, and like, there's a new single that they're doing and it's about, uh, it's like called Maniac on Mute and it's about like being silenced um, if you're a bit crazy. Mm-hmm. And I, I ha- I'm gonna have all of them basically putting their hand in front of their face on, on the word mute. Like she has a cool mo- moment for that which they're using in the music video. Um, but I'm having them all do that because again, it's like, and that's something commercial mm. that when the audience sees it, they're gonna see the music video and see them with their mouth taped up. And then they're going to see it live and see them all putting the hand over on on the word mute. Mm-hmm. It's relatable, mm-hmm. you know. It's like mm-hmm. there's like a hook point. Mm-hmm. So smart. It's like you know things. what you're fucking doing. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> really hope so. <laughs> smart man. Yeah. Ah, that's cool. That's interesting. <laughs> so when you're so when you're studying for that, you must. Okay, so if I was studying for that, mm-hmm. I would be, and this is what I would do, what I was doing when I was doing music videos, because I grew up, what am I, 45? So I grew up at, uh, you know, Guns N' Roses, like mm-hmm. November Rain and all that kind of mm-hmm. stuff, and Slash walking out of the church, mm-hmm. and the helicopter circling him in the fucking church, and like all these different so things, cool. and all these different angles, and like even Michael Jackson, and like George Michael, and that whole thing, and so... I'm always looking for uh, the ingredients that take usually some short dude and turn them into some fucking like iconic godly character. And those ingredients could be lighting stimulated. Those ingredients could just be editing stimulated. Mm -hmm. But more often than not, it's like 
slash stepping up on the piano in November rain and like just yep. standing there. And it's like, fuck, that was the first thing. It's like, this guy's got the balls to do that. That's cool. And then as he postures himself, and when you do the research on Slash, you realize his mom was like a huge fashion stylist, and mm-hmm. he comes from that whole that whole mindset. So all that was fucking pre-calculated. Everything is. I mean, you think about it, it's like something as basic as Elvis Presley. Yeah. When you look back, that if you put him on stage now, no one would bat an eyelid. Yeah. That's not sexual compared to what we're doing now. Yeah. That's actually quite tame. Yeah. You know, he's got a full suit on. But at the time, whoever was working with him and creating him as an artist knew that that would get attention because it was something that was a little risky yeah. at the time and that people would respond to it. Yeah. You know, so it's like all these little things and like that was just some hip rolls. Yeah. Michael Jackson, same thing. Okay, again, you put it on stage now, like he's phenomenal. He, he would transcend time. Like I love him so much. He's phenomenal. But again, it was a little risky for the time. Yeah. Some of the moves he would he was doing, like the moonwalk, that wasn't invented by Michael Jackson. <laughs> People think it was. It really? wasn't. Yeah. I can't remember. I should know the name of this. I should know the name of the person that invented it. It was brought to life by Michael Jackson. It was made commercial by Michael Jackson, but uh, it wasn't invented by Michael Jackson. Ah, uh, I didn't know that. So, you know, it's like these these moments in time that we see and you, you think that they've just come out there and done that. There's usually, it's, I'm sure it's all preconceived. You know, all of it. Everything is preconceived. And that's the thing that when I started to work in this business and I started to work, especially in the music video Mm -hmm. business, because that's all it is. Mm -hmm. Like music videos, ultimately, if you're doing them right, you're building characters, right? You're building icons. You're doing all this stuff to sell tickets and at one point to sell albums. Right. Nowadays, it's just to sell concert tickets. Yeah. Um, And so you, I think once you sort of take... You know, it's the blue pill, red pill thing from the Matrix. Mm-hmm. Once you take that pill, then you start to examine everything that you've ever seen in your fucking childhood and everything you've yeah. ever seen in your thing where you go like, man, when I saw Michael Jackson doing this stuff as just someone that had no idea how any of this stuff worked, he was magical. and Everything about him, how can a person think to do all these things? And then when you take that pill, you realize, well... There was uh, 25 different people that were thinking about each and every one of those little right. things that make him into the icon that we all know and love at this right. point. And yeah. it doesn't take away from them being icon. No. Like, you have to have some insane star quality to be able to do that. And I always reference the Spice Girls because when I was younger, I just would look at them like, how could they have found these, found these five amazing girls? <laughs> they're all friends. On the street, they're all so different and they're friends. <laughs> like, how cool. I would love to be a Spice Girl. And then you look back and you think, Oh my God, like someone has casted this and thought this out and thought, how do we get five completely different girls that are going to cater to every single person in America somehow or the world? I think it was the UK actually. Yeah. Um, You know, and they've made them into these absolutely different personalities, like sporty spies, scary. Like this was not something that they just sat down in their kitchen and were like, yeah. You know, it's like you look back and you're like, oh my God. I mean, they do, but they do a good job at it, right? They do, they do. Because that target audience is that, it's the younger audience that are looking up to these people thinking, oh my God, I just want to be like you. I want to buy your merch. I want to buy the tickets. I want to buy the CDs. I want to buy everything. So there's a whole market for that. Yeah, the business of it is so fucking wild, man. Yep. It is so wild. And I see it as I worked with Gina and we were doing a lot of, um, you know, female pop stars and female celebrities. Mm -hmm. You really see it there. Oh my God. Yeah. Really see it there. Yeah. They're curated. Yeah, more so than with the guys. A hundred percent. Yeah. A hundred percent. With the women, I think it's 
fully cu- curated like every every ounce of their being is really i mean it's like is it paris hilton i've been watching her documentary recently and like, she doesn't she doesn't have that voice no. <laughs> she created that or somebody created that voice and knew that it would sell and she's a very intelligent capable woman yeah. you know and yeah. it's like and yeah, everything, every ounce of them is is made to cater to the audience. And with women, it feels women, it feels like they're just such a bigger billboard, right? Because mm-hmm. not only are you selling them, you're selling whatever product that they're selling, but you're also selling sex, and you're also right. selling the beauty products that they use, and you're yep. also like they're these. Look at the Kardashians; like they're just massive. You know, it's like the ultimate billboard because yeah. if you have like a female artist, yeah, because you're selling the diet, the skincare. The clothes, the, every single thing. People want to know how they are looking like this or how they got to be where they are. And it's just such an obsession as opposed to, to men. There's an yeah. intrigue with men, but with women, it's just, it's a, just it's a whole so, different so much bigger. industry. It's crazy. So much bigger. Yeah. It's fucking fascinating yeah, it is. when you're in it. And then when you're, when you're in it and then you're watching it, this is where I become the grumpy old man. <laughs> so when you're in it and you're watching it, you're just like... And it, you know what's fast with any of our industries, you have the outliers, right? You have mm-hmm. the people that are the innovators that come in, like the Michael Jacksons that have hired the right people around them to mm-hmm. make them what they are and to make them amazing. And then you just have all the other little fish that just sort of replicate that thing until it's fucking dead. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so it, you, you, it's like these waves mm-hmm. of like, here's something cool and we're going to get like uh, tons of... Ch- we're going to get tons of sriracha on our cheeseburgers yep. at this point. And now it's, you know, now it's truffle oil. You yeah. know what I mean? And you're like, okay, all right. Some of the little fish, you think if you just had some more money. Yeah. You maybe wouldn't be a little fish if you had the right team. Yeah, you know? that's true. That's true. And the people that are on those teams, if you had a little bit more courage, maybe you can be pushing your stuff right. a little bit further. Right. And not just being a replicator and being someone that's yeah. creating something that's original. Exactly. Mm-hmm. This has been a good conversation. Very good conversation. Yeah. <laughs> Is there anything else you want to ask me? You got any other questions? Um, I feel like I would have a million. Um, yeah, use the opportunity. Oh yeah, actually I do because I just asked. Uh, I just watched your newest newest film. Oh, the newer one. Film. Yeah, though. Who's there? Uh, who's there? I watched that yesterday and I loved it. I thought I thought it Thanks. was amazing. Again, the pacing. Same with 12KM. I love the pacing of what you do. It's just, it's exciting and it's building and it's, you're just engaged the entire time. And I think that's why I, I love your stuff so much. Um, Thank you. I guess, what was your creative process for that film? Because I was, I was a little bit confused at the start, but mm-hmm. I liked it. Mm-hmm. I liked that I was confused because I felt like I was coming into something so late, mm-hmm. but I wasn't. I was coming in at the, at the start of the short. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that was the first thing that I, I thought about. I was like, wow, I feel I'm coming in so late to the story. Like I was trying to figure out what happened. And then I was like, wait, I'm being, I'm okay. Just sit back. Like you're being given the story. What was the process to, I guess, just the creation of that? Well, I can give you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that's a very long answer. But... Well, I can give you, well, no, I can give you like the, <laughs> Okay, I, so I could do what other shows would do and other directors would do, and I go, well, my process for this was like, <laughs> you know, I had this idea. But the truth of the matter is is that the uh, I'm very proud of that piece, um, and I'm proud of what that piece became, um, but that piece was originally going to be something much different. Mm. And um, I ended up having to change the opening of that film uh, because of an error on my part as a director. So mm-hmm. what happened was um, when I was putting together Who's There, 
um, whenever you do something, whenever you write out an idea, you're always like, can I pull this off? First thing I always ask is who's going to be in it? Mm -hmm. Do I have people around me that could be in this thing? Um, and then where do I shoot it? And can I find that? So mm -hmm. you fill out these things before you get excited about it, before you go, okay, we're going to do it. We're going to do a movie. Yeah. Um, and so the dad in that one is Gene, who played the guy in 12 Cam at the hole. So he was mm -hmm. the guy at the hole who was like complaining about not having sex for so long. Right. So I loved him so much. And when him and I worked together on 12 Cam, he was one of the few actors that came in with all his homework done. And I went to him. He had the balls to come over to me. And I went to him to tell him what I thought of the scene. He goes, before you say anything, can I just show you something? And I went, <laughs> okay, yeah, okay, show me. And so then he did it and I go, perfect, no nuts. And so then, you know, we played and, and I really appreciated um, his confidence in himself to do that. Yeah. And I appreciated all that. So right off the bat, I go, he's going to be the dad because I want to work with him again. I want to go through the process of finding things with this guy again. Mm -hmm. Okay, so he's it. The mom, uh, played by Shay, I was, I, I'm on Instagram all the time, as you can tell, and I had seen her on Instagram, and I liked her look, and mm -hmm. she had like this sort of Hitchcock, you know, you know, lead femme fatale kind of vibe, yeah. and I said, I really love your look, and she had listed that she was an actor, and mm -hmm. so when I talked with her, she had had some acting experience but nothing at the level of what we were going to do. And so I was like, okay, but I think you'll be fine. Your look is really great. Mm -hmm. And so when I was putting together the script, I, I kind of crafted a lot of that stuff around her. And I knew that Gene would also be able to help mm. having those two together. So yeah. I said, okay, great. And then we found Maggie, who was the babysitter. Mm -hmm. And so when we found Maggie, uh, and I remember we were in uh, the casting session and the casting director begged me to wait late because this girl was late. And he's like, "You're gonna, she, she's going to blow you away. And she came in and she has this uncanny skill of just turning on the waterworks. Like she would just be there and, and she'd do this thing. And afterwards, I go, as an older brother with younger sisters, you're an incredible fucking liar. <laughs> and, so like, like, uh, and so I knew when I cast her, it was changing everything because suddenly she's elevating everything to the next level. Gotcha. Right? So now I'm in rehearsals with her and Shay, who definitely is a great actress, mm -hmm. but she's not at the same level. Mm -hmm. And this is like right before we're doing it. Mm -hmm. And so I'm starting to see the inconsistencies. And I'm like, oh, shit. Mm -hmm. Like, how do I make this stuff work? Then we get to set. And uh, my crews are big. Like, I've got mm -hmm. dollies and 30-person fucking crew. And yep. we had this ginormous house and all this stuff. And because it's a short film, I really don't have any luxury of doing extra days. I'm like, okay. Right. And the question always is, is like, what do I shoot first? Because mm -hmm. the first for anything. As soon as I put the first shot up on the monitor, I go, I'm a fucking failure. <laughs> like, look how terrible <laughs> this is. Like, it's terrible. And so um, you're like, okay, what am I going to do first? My mistake was that I did a lot of the opening scene stuff first with her. And so I, was, I, I thought I was going to shoot it in sequence. And so I did the opening stuff, and she was very nervous the, the opening day. Yeah. And to give her credit, she stepped up, but she was very nervous. She's got all this crew, and then she's got all, and she's trying to make it work. And I, at that time, I've since learned a lot more about directing actors, and I'm. Uh, it's a blessing that I've gotten the performances that I did before my new skills. Let's yeah. just put it that way. <laughs> and so, um. I couldn't really help her. And so we were trying to figure this thing out. So originally the script was a lot more traditional the way it opened. Mm -hmm. There was a whole lot more stuff that happened. There was a whole lot more dialogue. There was a whole lot more sequences that happened with it. 
and Shay was just having a lot of trouble with those openings. Mm. Um, she found it day two, crushed. Like mm-hmm. she had this one scene that completely inspired me and changed like the bathroom sequence and all that stuff that happens yeah. with her was because of her performance. And she really found it and found her comfortability day two. Um, and I wish I could have added another day and just reshot the opening. Mm-hmm. So out of necessity in the edit room, I was going through all this footage and I'm like, this doesn't work now. This mm-hmm. doesn't work now. How the fuck do I do this? And so I had to recut that opening. Hmm. So that opening is cut that way because wow. of the response and the reaction to everything, which ended up being an interesting thing because it changes the energy. And it yeah. changes the way you think about it. It adds a lot of mystery to it. So I'm like, okay, great. All that stuff's really awesome. Yeah. Um, and I'm happy that you responded to it that way. And I've sort of come to Jesus with it now. Yeah. But if as a director, when I see that opening, and if anybody gives me shit about that opening, which I'm sure a bunch of you assholes will, uh, <laughs> The uh, the there's a piece of me that goes that's my fault. Mm. So the opening is my fault because I I really wasn't skilled enough to work with an actor that was having trouble, and I wasn't smart enough not to run that scene first when we were shooting it. That's so cool. That was one of my favorite things about the film. Well, th- there you go. I, seriously, I was just like you know most films that you have this lead up and you have you know there's there's all these opening shots that yeah most some most of the time some of the time you need that to make the mix make the story make sense, but I think everything was already so there in the yeah. rest of the film that it actually really intrigued me a lot and that was one of my favorite things about about the film it was like i felt like i just came into this story and i felt like that was very intentional and i feel like i was being <laughs> thrown into the you know it was like kind of like you've got the the yeah. characters in the scene and then you're the kind of extra one and you're the one that's going wait yeah. like I, I just arrived at the house and like what maybe i'm a friend and like what the hell is going on like I, I'm, I'm frantic and i want to find all the answers right away and then you're like calm down you know you're you're being made to to follow along and just be like, okay, okay, we're finding out these little puzzle sure. pieces and then you have the box. That, you know, sure. it, I don't know. For me, it felt very intentional, very cool. I loved it. So don't get me wrong. It ended up <laughs> becoming very intentional. So like yeah, when I was fun. in, when I was in the, you know, I'm desperate mode in the edit room. Yeah. And then I basically, the only reason I was able to find that out is because I have the ability to just go like, fuck everything. Yep. Let me just try to figure it out. Yeah. And then figuring it out. And then I started to feel what you felt. And I was like, oh, this is cool that were being dropped in here. Then that changed the pacing of everything else. Mm. So then that changed the pacing of like how how he approaches the box under the tree. Yeah. And then while she's on the phone, and so now you're having like these like counteractive things, and Mm -hmm. then you have the fire fire alarm happening, which Mm -hmm. is being intercut with what's happening upstairs, and it's adding the stress. And so uh, because of that, I think if I had done it my original way, it would have been a much slower intro. Mm It would have been a much slower reveal. Mm-hmm. It may not as interesting as it is now because of the mistakes that I made. That's very cool. I loved hearing that. That was really cool. That's how filmmakers do it. That's and then it's all bullshit. <laughs> so then afterwards, I could just, like, anywhere else, if we were, uh, entertainment tonight, I'd be like, well, you know, I had a dream about coming yeah. over to the, <laughs> I had a vision of this. You know, I, you I was know, born, dude. when I came out of my mom, I had the, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's all yeah. stupid shit. It really is. It's like, like anytime I talk to any other directors that are on this show, mm-hmm. one of my favorite things is to bring them down to this level. And yeah. then we all sort of talk and they go, yeah, that was a fuck up. And like everybody gives me the credit for the thing I fucked up on. And- yeah. It's the best thing. I think when you just look back and then you honor your mistakes as well, you can still see beauty in them. Like, cool. Yeah, yeah. Will I know not to do that again and still have other things? To work? Yeah, sure. Yeah. But but will I also cool. now know the tricks that I learned from my mistake that right. I'll then plan for next time? Right. 
it's a whole different way of seeing it anyway. So yeah, that's, that's what how that... I love about your guys' world is like yeah. it's so cool. <laughs> when we get to do it, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, when yeah. we get when we finally get to do it. Yeah. But yeah, I'm happy you watched it. I'm happy that resonated with you. Yeah, so cool. Yeah. I loved it. Mm-hmm. I love this. Anything else? Um, to put you on the spot. I think that's all my questions for now. Before I start asking yeah, random yeah. stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah no, that's good. <laughs> I've enjoyed this completely. We should probably wrap this up, but I've enjoyed this completely. Thank you so much. Uh, Hopefully we get to collaborate on something. I hope so. That would be dope. fun. Mm -hmm. And uh, if anybody, so where should people go if they want to see your stuff? Is it all your Instagram is the smart place to be or? Yeah, Instagram is the best at Abby Abby and Oliver too. Abby is spelled with an I, A-B-I. Or Abby and Oliver abbyannolivercreative.com is my website so yeah for you lazy assholes it'll be in the description of today's yeah. episode so you can just click <laughs> on the links yeah. um, well thank you so much Abby for being here today thank you for having me that was awesome there it is I fucking love this episode man I, I'm such a selfish nerd right I book my guests I book people that I love uh, to ask questions about what it is that they do and book people that I want to work with, really. You know what I mean? I think she's cool as hell, man. I'm going to have to reach out to her and see if we can do something together. Even if it's just something small, that'd be fun. Um, what did you think? Did you have your mind blown? Right? Are you thinking about these pop stars a little bit differently now? <laughs> Hopefully I didn't uh, ruin them for you. <laughs> Hopefully the veil wasn't pulled too much, you know? I mean, you could still enjoy this stuff when you know everything that goes into it. I mean, here's the way I look at it. My my perspective has changed. Of course, I am not the bewildered 12-year-old that is staring at the Michael Jackson Thriller album and trying to understand how this fucking alien from out of space showed up and and uh, made magic for the entire planet. It's At this point, I, I look at it and I go, man, look at all the hard work of all of these artists. And then when I see the specific details of this, I go, man, what else has that artist done? You know? And then you go dig deeper into that and you go, fucking legendary, man. That's one of the cool things about IMDb. And I think you can still do it with music videos. There's like a music video database as well out there. Like the music video version of it. I think they're putting music videos on IMDb now. Um, But if you really like an artist, if you really like an act, especially in the modern day of social media, um, ask yourself why. Is it the way they move? Is it what they wear? Are you constantly coming back to what they wear? Is it their outfits? Is it their makeup? What is it specifically? And then go find that person. And here's a really interesting experiment. Go find that person and see if that person is able to do that same thing for other acts. And if they do, then you know who's got the real juice on that, right? You know who's got the talent. Um, but it's also something fascinating about uh, the, if they don't, then maybe that act has that talent. You know what I mean? It's a good way to sort of decipher your way through it. Um, I enjoy doing that stuff, probably because I work in this business, but also I'm real nerdy about that shit. And I like to give credit where credit's due. And I also, you know, when you find these folks, you start to realize like, man, there it isn't just one person that does all this stuff. And then you're putting a lot less stress on yourself, Right. You're not trying to live up to this impossible fucking image. You're not trying to live up to be this impossible person. There's no fucking way that you can do this. There's no way you could be a Kardashian on your own. There's no fucking way. There's so many people involved with that. And I like to promote this. I like to put this out there. I like to pull back that curtain, man, so that way we're 
we're looking at ourselves with a bit more grace we're looking at ourselves with a bit more humble humility and then understanding that there's no fucking way i can compete i can't afford 15 people to make me look good every day you know what i mean uh hope you enjoyed today's show thanks everybody for listening there is another episode of right place right time with me and my brother from another mother mr lance a williams uh, fucking we've recorded at this point up to 10 episodes in the future and they're all great i'm telling you they're all great i'm very excited for all of you to listen to it when this show drops i think i'm probably on vacation so i'll, I'll try to give you guys uh uh some uh stories about our trip we're going to the islands it's the first vacation that we've had and i don't know how many fucking years like real vacation i'm excited get to hang out with the fam um so yeah that's it man i'm not gonna drag this out thanks for listening to the show and as always this episode or this show in love with the process we'll see you next tuesday